What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 68. Here with a couple resident homies, Joel and Casey. We're missing the professor. Um, we'll see him next time. But um, yeah, we are here again live with you on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, is it Facebook too or no? No, it's just those two right now. All right, so those two, thanks for being with us on your Thursday evening. Um, you'll get this normally on Friday. If you can't see it live, it'll be up on Friday like it usually is. Um, let's get to uh, Battle Cop, Battle Force. For- Jesus fucking Christ, dude. <laughs> Battle Cop Battleforge Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't say barrel, guys. Battleforgecoffee.com. Hook it up. Or the homies are hooking it up with some sick coffee, sick swag. They got all the shit. Go over there. Help uh, help some friends out. You know, deeds of flesh. That's the fucking shit. So go help dude, those I, guys out. I almost got a French press today so I can try it. But I Dude, you got to get one. You got to get the right grind. You got to get the grind. I know it's too expensive where I was at, but it was like some market. But I'm going to get an Amazon one. I'm gonna, French press is only good when you try grind it. it right, dude. So it's got to be coarse grind. I'm like a lazy K-cup, dude. I'm terrible. <laughs> but I got to I got to try this bag, dude. Sometimes that's all that's all you need Feel to bad. Just get a caffeine fix, dude. Well, but yeah, I'm going to do it tomorrow. You know what? Tomorrow is the day. Nice, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, hit them up and uh yeah. We got nothing else but uh today's our yeah. our today's guest. God damn, I can't spit anything out right now. <laughs> You need French press coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That actually, you know what? You just made me realize, dude, I did not have a cup of coffee. I usually have a cup of coffee before this, but I had so little time to do anything before this. Anyways, it's cool, dude. What's going on, Yannick? Hey, you doing all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. Uh, Quovatis is the project that I'm most familiar with, but I see there's Gone in April. There's this recording studio. Is it Wave Transform Recording? Yep, that's studio? right. That's correct. Yeah. So you've been a very, very busy dude, and I'm sure there's plenty of other bands that are on your list, dude. And uh, but yeah, thanks for giving us your time and being with us. This yeah, week, yeah. Dude. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. And uh, so you know, we, we let's just start it off, guys. Let's uh, let's go straight into it. So how we usually do it is. Take us back as far as you can in memory when music. Well, I just wanted know. to say too, like you know, oh yeah, Quovatis Co- is that how you say it? Yep. Yeah, Quovatis. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's like a really important band to us, like growing up. Like I mean, I say growing up, but like the last I don't know twenty years, whatever that we've been mm-hmm. listening to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, back when I was playing in Decrepit and stuff, and Joel and Anthony and all, all of our mm-hmm. bands way back when we were doing that, we listened to you guys all the time, bro. Obsessed, you know. Yeah, and like. Matt from Decrepit Birth, like he was so influenced by you guys. We were like putting on like th- that DVD like all the time, dude. Like it was so yeah. Sick. It showed yeah. us the you guys were uh, independent, right? What's the title of that yeah. DVD? That yeah. the first one that came out the the well the the album's called Define Imagination. The right. DVD is Define Indoctrination. So yeah, that's right, dude. Yeah. Check that. Was that, out. was that filmed at the Medley? Yep, that was at the okay. Medley. Yep, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, is Definitely. that in Montreal? That is in Montreal. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that so the cool. the way they yeah, the put the way you guys put on your show and the theatrics involved, and you'd never think that you were just an independent band, dude. And, and yeah, the songs I mean, are we, so good. Yeah, well, I we worked really hard. I mean, we were doing a lot of hours a week. I mean, uh, each of us were either, uh, you know, like in school or working. And in addition to that, I mean, we were pulling probably, I mean, Bart and I were doing probably about 40 hours a week on the band each at the time right 
So that's, Sick. I mean, we were putting in a lot of time on that. So, and, but it was our passion. So when it's your passion, it, it doesn't feel like it's work, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So that's the, the really uh, cool thing about it. But yeah, it, it's kind of weird that over the years, I guess when you're involved in the project and you're working and you're working nonstop, it, it's almost like, you know, the force from the trees kind of thing, you know? So when you hear uh, people talk about the band like that and, you know, after so many years of taking a step back, you know, to kind of look back on it and hear what people say, you just kind of look at it a little bit different. So, yeah, it's kind of neat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Definitely. All the cool uh, art aspects, too, with the dancing and stuff like that. There was like a bunch of stuff that we yeah, had right. never seen in like a, a, you know, live DVD like that. Like all the choral parts are an actual chorus singing yep. them, you know, yeah. Jeez, yeah, so you that, that huge. was really kind of a flavor that Bart was bringing to the, um, uh, you know, to the, to the table, I guess. And I kind of developed, you know, an interest for that a, a little bit later, but you know, the, uh, in the DVD, there was the, uh, the body painting, the girls were body painting. Mm -hmm. That was, that's Bart, you know, the choirs, that was Bart. I mean, he listened to classical music a lot. So the kind of creative aspects, you know, um, he was the one that was the, uh, the lead on that, you know, so and what I mean by creative aspects, I mean, artwork as well, right? I mean, uh, I give my opinion a little bit here and there, but I was involved in different aspects of the band. But for him, that was definitely like the, the you know, something that he was taking the lead on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it definitely impressed us, dude. I mean, that, like we said, dude, that, I don't know how many times we just chilled in the living room. And that would be if, if not us, one of us paying attention, it'd still be like in the background all the time. Just like, this is how you death metal, dude. This is how you melodic death metal right here. <laughs> yeah, that first album, 96, right? Uh, forever? Yeah, that's Forever. Dude, uh, that was Slays, released in 96. Yeah. For 96, I mean, it slays now, but for 96, that's like, just sounds really like ahead of its time. Like, the yeah, drumming is... It, what up, yeah, really uh, sick, well, dude. Sounds crazy. <laughs> so good. Uh, the, yeah. th that album was... I, mean, I guess too. different in the way that, I mean, everything was recorded on uh, two inch analog tape and same oh, with cool. day and tonight nice. and oh, really? forever, oh, wow. forever was mixed analog, which means back that there is no editing on that. What you hear wow. is yeah. everything that is played. There are it's... no edits. There are punch-ins just like people, do sure, punch -ins, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, I make a mistake, rewind to punch me in and, and you start recording to fix a mistake. But there is no editing whatsoever on that. So what you hear, you know, I, that was recorded as is. <laughs> so really tight. Actually, uh, one thing, actually, since great. you're talking about punch-ins, I know people always talk about it with, because, uh, you know, obviously we've lived in a digital age for our recording mm -hmm. life. But um, so when a, how does a punch-in work? Like, I know they have to cut up the tape and stuff, but are they literally, are they recording like a separate track and then they're cutting up the section and then taping yeah. it in? Yeah, so I think all the recordings that I've done with two-inch tape and with half-inch tape, actually, the Colvadas demo was done on half-inch tape mixed in with some other digital formats uh, like DAT tapes and, and stuff like that. But anyways, nonetheless, the punch-ins, how they were being done uh, back then, uh, I've actually not worked on a project where they actually cut the tape. Um, okay. Say, for example, if we did a, a punch in on a drum recording, if I made like if we started recording the song here and then I made a mistake right here, what we do is, OK, like start the tape from here and I'm going to start playing drums about right here and press record here before I make the mistake. Okay. You know what I mean? So it'd be kind of stuff like that, that that we do, but we never actually had to cut the tape so 
Uh, I know a lot of the um, the big studios do, uh, you know, cut the tape, and I I just have never worked on a project that has done that. But I've done a lot of of tape recording, so yeah, I don't know exactly what the reason was for it. I don't know if it was done more in the '80s and less with time because of new ideas or technology. I don't really know the reason for that, but uh, but yeah, that's how we did punch-ins then. Yeah. God, that's Wild. crazy. Super crazy. Yeah. So like and the the demo was uh, was actually in '95. So I don't know if if people are aware mm-hmm. of that, but we did a demo uh, that was released in in '95, and that was recorded uh, in a guy's basement actually that he had like a very small uh, home studio, and that was a guy that uh, like I said had half inch tape and you know some digital recording gear and stuff like that. And at the tape at, at the time it was Bart and I and Ari. So Ari was the other guitarist with Bart, and there was me on drums. And we didn't have a bassist at the time. So the demo first got released with actually without bass on it. Um, and uh, be, I mean, we just didn't have a bassist. It was us three and we did our stuff. And it was our first time recording as a band. And you got to remember at that time, we were 20 years old. Well, by the time it was released, we were 20 years old. So by the time we recorded, we may have been 19. And of course, technology being what it was at the time, it's not like today. Um, you know, like just recently I, you know, produced a band in our studio here and they're about, you know, very close to 20 years old in that, but technology is so advanced and YouTube is advanced, you know, everything that we didn't have back then. So we recorded, we were 19 years old and, uh, went into the, you know, the guy's basement. His first name was Gilles. I can't remember his last name, but anyways, um, and we did that. And then I think a year later, we started recording uh, the first album, which was for Forever, which was released in 96, like you were saying. And I remember Bart at the time uh, saying, um, hey, there's a sound engineer that works with the the kind of known bands in Montreal. And his name was Pierre Miaga. And I think actually when you guys had Steve um, on the show a few weeks ago, Steve DiGiorgio, he talked about Pierre also. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, he was the, the guitarist from Oblivion. And uh, so Bart had gotten in touch with with Pierre and he was busy on on other projects. But finally, we ended up, you know, having the opportunity to work with him. And he's the one that recorded and mixed, uh, you know, f- uh, forever. And that was done in a more kind of like professional uh, recording studio uh, setting. It wasn't, uh, you know, at the time, uh, you know, basically two small booths in a in a small, very small basement studio with a lot of carpet and eggshells. You know, we didn't do that for forever. So that was like a big deal for us, you know, and um, that was like our first album and we were 21 years old, you know, and it's just we were working hard for it. And because we were independent, we said, all right, well, let's budget for this. We're going to split this into four equal parts and everyone does their, uh, you know, their own share in that. And um, yeah, we just continued to split stuff equally. And at one point doing CD sales, the money started coming in. So we actually had, a, you know, like a a band, uh, you know, fund and uh, taking money from that to start paying the studio. And the more we went, the, you know, um, the, the more money we had in our band fund and that. So it was helping with other things. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So. Dude. That's awesome. And I want to get deeper into that, but I want to rewind a little bit because I want to hear all the stuff before Quo Vadis. I want to hear, like I said, um, that first spot where, you, you know, you can remember music becoming something important. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so the, the actual the first instrument I learned how to play that actually taking lessons was organ. And I think mm. at the time I was five years old 
And I think that's probably, I'm wondering why my parents put me in Oregon, but I'm wondering if it had to do that, you know, in the eighties, the, all the synthesizers started coming out and pop music and stuff like that. So I don't know it was from that, but, uh, you know, in French Canada, the, a lot of, uh, families come from, uh, you know, a Catholic background. So I don't know if it had to do with the organ, of church or something. I mean, I, I have no idea, but I started taking organ and I took that for, I think maybe three years, two years, something, something like that. So I, I learned you know, some music theory and well, basic, very basic, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, music theory, um, at that time. And what age uh, is that? That I, th- I was about five years old. Okay. Yeah. About five years old, something like that for, for maybe two years, three years, something like that. And, um, uh, so yeah, a few years later, when I started listening to heavy metal, I started listening to heavy metal when I was nine years old, uh, oh, wow. a bit earlier than that. Yeah. How'd you so come like, across it? Um, I think maybe the first times that I did, I had an interest in like music was just not heavy enough. And I think I was looking at some of the older kids. And of course, back then they had the jean jacket with like these crazy back patches on and the studs mm-hmm. on there. I was like, man, that looks like intense music. I mm-hmm. mean, it just looked like very intense music. And to me, I wanted to like, I want to know what that is. Right. I mean, I want to listen to that and, I just want to experience it. And then the kind of more I got into it, um, I think about nine years old, the twisted sister, I think it was stay hungry. I think that was released in 84. I can't remember exactly, but anyways, around that time and I enjoyed it, but it still wasn't kind of heavy enough. You know, for me, it still felt like it, it, it was weak in terms of the intensity and, and just the music, you know, um, but I enjoyed it because I didn't know anything different, you know, and uh, I'd look at people's back patches and go like, OK, that that looks heavy. Let me go see what that band is about. <laughs> so, of course, at the time, you know, you go to, uh, you know, a record store, which was records and and tapes starting to come out at, at that time, too, and checking out different things. And uh, I eventually got into Iron Maiden and then uh, a few years later, the Metallica and once Metallica, the Injustice for All, then it then it was pretty much like Slayer, Anthrax, uh, uh, you know, all those band, and then gotten into death metal and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, so, so you that's were, you were just digging yourself then, huh? Yeah, no, no, no one else from my friends was listening to that music, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was getting that off people. I was looking for stuff, you know. I mean, I didn't know. I, I had no references other than looking at older kids' backpatches on their jean jackets, going, wow. "Oh, that looks like." That looks crazy. I want to check what that is, you know. That is, that's um, actually a, a new one for us on this show. Like, because there is some commonalities in, in people's upbringings and getting into metal and stuff like that. But I, I have not heard somebody cite just looking at back <laughs> other people's back patches and patches. But which yeah. is, it, hey, however you you find your way down the rabbit hole. Yeah, you and know, our, our generation was like back patches were like already it was basically like you already knew that all the bands that were on the back patches and we were seeing like what they were trying to portray as being their or you know like this is what i'm I'm into i'm into venom and i'm also into fucking yeah. cannibal corpse and i'm into you know like i'm into like these different bands but yeah it's crazy probably back in in the day and stuff that would be like it's another form of kind of album album like searching for you know looking through artwork and stuff yeah and and i mean the thing to remember too is i mean this is like maybe middle of 80s so there's no youtube there's no hey i'll download this mp3 on my phone there's none of that there's i mean mobile phones were just starting and they're nowhere close to <laughs> back mm-hmm. then to how they are now so i mean there wasn't really a hey let me check this on my phone there was none of that you know so you had 
older kids that were listening to it and record stores to, and, and magazines, you know, and when you're nine years old, it's not like you say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, take the car and go to the record store and yeah. start looking through some stuff. I mean, you can't, you know, so when your parents go or you ask your parents, Hey, I want to go and check this out. And then you just look forward to that happening. <laughs> you know, so Yeah. Uh, so what happens when you get a little bit older, get into your teenage years and, and, you know, did you ever get into like the tape trading scene and all that stuff? Um, not the trading scene, but the, I guess the tape scene, because I, I mean, I still have a lot of tapes, uh, upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, geez, uh, a lot of tapes from the eighties, early nineties and stuff like that. I mean, it wasn't trading, but, but into tapes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. that was before CDs came out. So, uh, you know, the vinyls were kind of getting out and tapes were coming in before uh, CDs ever came along. So that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was my first forms of physical music was cassette tapes as well. It's <laughs> funny seeing the full circle of like, you know, cassette tapes and it went or That's vinyl like, yeah. cassette tapes and, and on mm -hmm. CDs. Now it's going, the CDs are going away. People are going back to tapes. I'm seeing all these bands just, yeah, people didn't just want the tapes. Sanity, they just put out like a box set of cassette tapes. Yeah, there's that. I, mean, Decrepid's, I think Decrepit has tapes out. People are we call it a tapeography. People are like, oh, these are like vinyls, but they're like more convenient. So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sound not as good, but I mean, it's more for us to have it like a little trading card or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. funny to see. And, and vinyls obviously have come back with the, you know, people are getting vinyls all of a sudden now so it's like people are missing the hiss dude yeah <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like they, they want to hear like music put on it's like dude, remember when your, na, 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 or like remember you know, when your kinda... tape would just get eaten like you'd get like a, a you'd buy like a like tapes were like 20 bucks 15 bucks back then in the day you yeah. know and like mm -hmm. you're throwing it in your tape player and you got like a shitty tape player and all of a sudden like it just goes and just like you have to like unwind it and like yeah. it was like oh, it was never the same yeah, I thought exactly. they sounded cool, but they're a pain in the butt, like in that way. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I had like a lot Definitely. of bass. Number you know, two like, pencil, dude. Number two pencil. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. The rewind button, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember exactly. uh, having CDs and like going camping, like when I was in high school, and like I would take this van out into the desert and just go like off roading, like just destroy my old van. It was terrible. But we got like a bunch of sand that like, came into the CD player. Oh, so I had like sand or like dust sand like eternally in my CD player. So I was like, no, no, put a CD in there. Like there's just, just like one like, rip. Yeah. Oh, it was just the worst. Dude. That yeah. doesn't sound very good. Oh, I know, right? The CD ruiner. Yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, let's let's get back on the timeline and get into uh, the teenage years, like high school. Was there any pre Quovatis bands that you were? Ah, oh, good question. Um, and like, when yeah. did you come across like uh, playing drums? Like, did you have yeah. other instruments after organ? Yeah, after organ, when I started listening to heavy metal, then I I was interested in the the kind of loud electric guitar, right? Um, not so much the soloing, but the just kind of like the rhythm kind of, you know, distorted, the you know, and stuff like that, that I was really, uh, you know, kind of getting into it. And I remember talking to my parents and saying, hey, um, I'd really like to get an electric guitar and learn the guitar. And they said, if you want to learn guitar, you start with acoustic or classical, because that's where you'll get the techniques and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I really was not interested in acoustic or classical, but that was the only way I was going to get to it. So I said, OK. So let's do it. And I think the one of the issues at the time is uh, I think, well, one 
first of all, I wasn't like super intensely interested in acoustic guitar because I wanted to play electric. But my teacher at the time, um, they, when they're 30 minute lessons, and I was, I think, in grade maybe five or six at the time or something like that. So the lesson was basically me going in and at least half of the lesson was him showing off what he was able to do for me to go like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And of course I was young. I didn't know any better. So I just listened to him. And the second half was him showing me a few things. And it wasn't really interesting to me because I didn't want to learn, oh, McDonald had a farm on a guitar. I wanted to do, you know, freaking Iron Maiden guitars and, uh, you know, like metal guitars. And that just wasn't happening with that. So I think six months after, I just kind of lost interest in the uh, in the acoustic guitar. And uh, then, well, two years later, that's when I told my parents I wanted to play drums. And they said, yeah, well, we got you a guitar. And after six months, it, it's just there in the closet. So if you want a drum kit, you buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so basically, you're not wasting our money. Yeah. And if you're really serious about it, you, you buy it. So I worked like crazy. I mean, cutting lawns in the summer, mowing lawns and working at a grocery store. And I mean, I started working, I think when I was like um, 16 years old, pretty much like, uh, you know, mixed in with school and, and stuff like that. So in the summers I had, you know, full-time hours and I was working at like seven places or something and uh, made money. And six months later, I bought the first drum kit and here I am today still playing drums. And it's been, um, it's going to be 33 years, I think this year that I'm playing drums, something like that. Damn, so wow. yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy <laughs> who would have thunk it <laughs> i know right so so what was what was the first year or so like with the drums was it just staying at home jamming yourself or did you start yeah. jamming with other musicians uh, yeah i mean it started off before i got the drum kit is i used to, to skateboard and i didn't have drumsticks i didn't have a drum kit or anything so i had you know the rails on the side of the uh, skateboards mm-hmm. so i would look at of course mtv that was on at the time at uh, you know five or five thirty that they'd have the metal hour and that or something like that so i'd watch the drummers and i had my my rails from my skateboard and i would just you know kind of look at what the drummer was doing Mm -hmm. and you know the tom parts and the crashes and i just kind of was just looking and trying to learn and of course i was air drumming right i didn't have a drum kit i didn't have anything but at least some of the um coordination i think was kind of starting to develop a little bit and uh, i remember at one point the father of one of my friends who when we were at his place he came downstairs and he and he was a musician and he said, "Huh, you should get a drum kit because from what I can see from how you're playing with those rails, that instrument might be really good for you." So, <laughs> so yeah, it just kind of developed into that and uh, yeah, and got the drum kit and yeah. So the first year and a half, I think, was me playing by myself and basically what I had is I had my at the time my Walkman right with the cassettes and had Slayer and Metallica and Anthrax and I'd have that in my headphones and that was my band. I mean, I had a full band playing with me, of course, and a drummer. So I would just go ahead and play what I was hearing and trying to mimic what Lars Ulrich and Dave Lombardo and Charlie Benante and them were doing on drums. And I kind of taught myself how to play by listening to what they were uh, doing, you know? So that's kind of how that got started before I started playing with other musicians. So, uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird how things happen sometimes. So, yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. definitely. Uh, no, so no lessons. Were you taking any lessons or just, uh, no, the, I took the first sessions I took were in 2004. I took a week at, so in 2004, in 2004, obviously a lot later in my life with, uh, Bobby Drew Zombeck, 
Uh, he oh, played yeah. LeBron Ball. Oh, wow. And, oh. You did lessons with him? I did two sessions of, I think it were two afternoons with him in, in L.A. Because I actually had to go to L.A. for uh, for my physicist uh, job. And yeah. uh, I got in touch with him because someone told me, uh, actually, it was Jason Sukoff um, from mm-hmm, Audio damn. Hammer in Florida. Yep. Uh, when mm-hmm. we worked with him, he's like, you got to check this guy out. And I heard it and mm-hmm. I was never the same again. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, so when I had to go to LA, I got in touch with him and we met up and super nice guy, super amazing. So that was kind of like the first time I had nice. lessons and he kind of opened up my brain on some new tools and stuff to do on the drum kit, which uh, my drumming today would not have been the same without him. And I took a few sessions from yeah, a jazz man. drummer at one point in 2005, but that was it. The rest is is self-taught. So um it's but amazing. i mean a, a lot of credit to all the drummers that have influenced me because i've listened to them like dave lombardo obviously influenced my playing a lot and gene hoagland and and that so yeah yeah it's cool to say they're your, like they're all your teachers Everybody what's your like yep. to. okay so like what's your top 10 like in, most influential drummers just top like 10? spanning your whole life top 30 no, top, top, top 10 yeah, well, i think 10 is good because no, I, I, I want to hear a range. I can tell there's going to be a range. Okay, guys. <laughs> okay. I'll start with the five, the first five, and then I yeah, can five. go off of that. Yeah, so yeah, I would yeah. say th- today probably uh, Dave Lombardo, Gene Hoagland, Bobby Jerzombek have mm. really are really the top three. I think that have given. It's kind of like a mix of those top three guys. I mm-hmm. would say, like in majority of how my playing is uh, today. Um, I mean, I've adapted with different ideas of different drummers and that, but I think those would be the three Then, of course, Sean Reinhardt, mm-hmm. um, um, has as well. And Lars Ulrich, when I was listening to injustice for all, I mean, that came out, I was fair. I mean, uh, how old was I? I was nine, nine, was I nine years old? No, I was 14 years old at the time. Right. So 14 years old. And I hear Dave Lombardo, Lars Ulrich. those were the bands mm-hmm. that people were listening to. So mm-hmm. I play along to Injustice for All, um, not so much into the Metallica stuff <laughs> from after that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lars was a little bit in there. So I would say those are kind of like the top guys that have really, uh, you know, um, help make make me the drummer i am today i guess in a way there yeah. so actually nice. a drummer's perspective actually i would like to get into this i mean not really super get into it but how much you know shit get i mean people give lars usually from non-drummers like i mean even drummers and stuff i usually hear it's kind of like a inside joke and i remember like as a kid like hearing that stuff and just the way he hit and everything i was like he's fucking just in the pocket man like yeah, oh, he's dude. He's, I mean, but, but it's like an easy, it's like a, it's like a carrot top. Like everyone rips on carrot top, you know, it's like, but he's kind of funny. He's like, you know, it's like, he's like not a bad guy and he's funny. So it's like the, the perfect phrase. Like, all I have to say is that he is the perfect drummer for Metallica. Yeah, that's like exactly. The, and no one can, can, can refute that. That's, totally. I mean, that makes, I mean, that that's makes all I have not, to say, dude. Imagine like, and, uh, and who's the biggest band like ever, you know, and yeah. dude, Metallica, I mean, I, I was, whatever the later stuff whatever but like dude those four those first four albums can just like mm-hmm. dude, dude you can just like go home forever and the song right that's it that's not like, church it's like dude. you gave us that and you can just like dude that's cool for it dude yeah and i think if, if you go back to that's that insane. time right because if you listen to it now i mean metal has yeah. evolved and productions have evolved mm-hmm. and all that a lot since then but you go back to those years and that was that was absolutely amazing right i mean yeah yeah. it was just crazy right so uh uh you know yeah i think i guess my opinion of lars and this is a super taboo 
topic, right? Because I think <laughs> totally a lot right. of people say a lot of bad things about Lars and a lot of people really like him. Um, I think that, you know, back in the, the, the kind of earlier part of his career, I've, I mean, I've seen him play live. I've seen Metallica, I think twice. I've seen the Injustice for All tour. And I mean, I've seen other shows from back then. And I think that he was a tighter drummer, uh, you know, back then uh, than, than he is now. So I don't know if it's just something that comes with, with age or with practice. But I mean, you got to give it to the guy, though. Him and James Heffield, I mean, I don't know a super a lot about Metallica because there's like these crazy Metallica fans out there that really like the band. But from my understanding of how Metallica got to where they are today is in large due to James and and uh, Lars, right? So you could say what you want about them, but those are the main guys that have made Metallica who they are today mm -hmm. and have pushed it to those limits, right? So the way that I see it is, I mean, yeah, Lars is not only a drummer. I mean, he's a businessman and he's an artist and helped get metal and Metallica have helped metal in general. It's not just that they've made Metallica, you know, who they are today. They've pushed the limits for metal and more and more people have started getting into metal because of Metallica Definitely. and have gone on to listening to other types of metal and now are super metal heads and they listen to all sorts of metal and helping metal, you know, keep metal alive in that. So a lot of people say bad stuff about Lars, but you know, I don't think metal would be where it is today without the big four, you know, in, oh, yeah. in uh, the eighties, you know, I mean, not, not just Metallica, but Megadeth has done much anthrax, uh, you know, Slayer, I mean, it, it's amazing what they've done for, for metal these days. And also know? when you're in the limelight, people just, I mean, you're going to have people yeah. that don't yeah, like yeah. you. You know, I, yeah. I think I'd like to answer your question a little more in depth because I do have another thought just on it real <laughs> fast because you brought it up. So so here's the thing is, and I, I remember when I first started taking drum lessons, okay, my favorite drummer was Neil Peart. I'll make this quick. And I was like, him and, and Danny Carey, right? Okay. And I went to my teacher and I was like, dude, I'm like obsessed with Neil Peart. Like, I love Rush, like like all the '70s shit. Like I was like obsessed with Hemispheres and all the songs, and and he was like, "Oh, great man! No, he's really good, but you know, like he's kind of stiff, you know, like he's 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 known as being kind of like a more stiff drummer as opposed to like all these other drummers. So he's he's like, because I was like, he's God, you know. I'm like, I walk in there, like, dude, he's God, like he's a God, and he is God, or he is a God of drums, you know. But he was like, oh, but it's like like the style of it was what he was talking about was like that's why people say like oh this drummer is better because they have more of this like kind of groovy or like you know whatever dynamic -y thing that they do like constantly where he's just like like you know kind of like a real like more of a machine kind of thing and and i think that that like goes between also if you compare like so they like say take rush versus king crimson or something you're like oh well bill bruford from you know from yes and stuff and early king crimson he's so much better because he grooves in a certain way and it's like is he he's not like they're both amazing they're both gods like they're both so fucking badass and equally as good 100 you know but unique and, in their own yeah way. exactly yes. it's not better yeah. or worse and the same but the comparison i was going to make is kind of like between megadeth and metallica too because Me megadeth has the groove and they do this it's different kind of grooving that metallica does where, where, where metallica is all like like it's all super tight you know mm -hmm. and so like i think that lars like and james is like all all the down picking stuff like mi mixed with lars's drumming is that sound like that's mm -hmm. the whole point mm -hmm. you know so so to say omega does so much better because they groove in this it's like that, that that's a, it's a different feel you know 
so it's not who's better like or lars isn't as good as and, and, and you're talking about the heyday like i mean lars in his heyday is like we, we can talk about lars now from these 90s kids growing up and being like oh you know crown king nothing and shit like whatever but it's like dude imagine seeing <laughs> lars on the injustice for all tour like you did dude that's like fucking brutal like i bet that was the sickest i mean i've watched the videos man it was sick you know, yeah. you know and actually it's, it's just that was yeah, the heyday. It, it's yeah. funny because that injustice for all tour so again i was 14 years old right and i told my parents i wanted to go see metallica and my mother said you're not going to a heavy metal concert on your own you're 14 years old you go with one of your friends and you know i, I said i don't have any friends that are going to this and i absolutely want to go and my mother said well you're either going with a friend not at all or i'm going with you i said all right if you don't mind coming let's go. So she came and nice. Queensryche was opening up for them. And I didn't really know uh, Queensryche. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know what an opening band was at the time, right? This was like my first real concert. So the Queensryche guys come on and I'm like, that's not, but, but I only had an album in Metallica. I only had Justice for All. So I'm looking at the Queensryche guys and I'm like, what's the guy with the hat? <laughs> like, I don't like why there are five. And I'm like confused of what's, and I don't know any of the songs. And at one point, you know, they finish and all the gear goes off stage. And I'm thinking like, oh, and then there's stuff that I'm starting to recognize. And it's like, oh, okay. And then Metallica came on. It's like, yes, that's who I wanted to see. So that was all excited. But yeah, my mother, I mean, my mother was there with me. And uh, what was I her think, experience? Uh, I think for her, she about three quarters of the way through the concert, she just kind of looked at me and said, you have enough and I, w I was just happy that she came with me you know so yeah, yeah. i said yeah i understand you you came thank you all right let's go and and that was good and, and I, I was very very happy you know but totally. my my parents were always up for stuff like that you know when my parents were taking trips for work and they they'd go uh you know uh, away on a trip for a weekend or something my mother would get back and be like hey we bought you this at a store downtown apparently this is a big metal band that's in today and i'd look at it and i'd go i don't know who they are but yeah, shirt looks cool. One nice. of those shirts was Slayer. Show no mercy. I didn't know Slayer at the time, right? So wow. they got me a Slayer shirt before I even knew the band. And Metallica Master of Puppets uh, was, I think I got that before I, of course, before I knew Metallica. And that was, you know, at an age where you want to be like, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm a big kid. Da, da, da. And because there was the word puppets on it, it's like, this is a joke. This is something for kids. I don't want to wear that shirt. <laughs> so my mother said, Hey, apparently it's this big metal band. So she took like a, a black marker and she put black marker on the of puppets. So it would just say master. So no one, you know, would be like, Oh, you got puppets on your shirt. You're a little boy, you know, or stuff like that. So then I would wear the master of puppet shirt without the puppets. So people wouldn't, you know, I was afraid people would tease me on it. So yeah, I mean, they would, they were really cool with stuff like that. My parents, they, they helped out, you know, and got involved. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's no, you, uh, having, having parents that, you know, may not get it, but respect that you get it. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, giving you rides to concerts and shit like that. That's awesome, yeah. dude. Quick, quick yeah. shout out to Nicole, by the way. She just, uh, she just rated us. Nicole, the shredder guitar player. Oh, she what just, up? Uh, Thanks, sent Nicole. Over. Yeah, it's awesome. Woo -hoo. Fuck yeah. Nice. Need to have her on, have her and Justin on. Have like a. Totally. Like, totally kind of an entheos yeah. part two. it's almost like another entheos like we should start oh, cool. thinking about yeah, that yeah. though too like not just you know going specifically into like the twitch channels and people on twitch and starting to collab more with this side of it since we're newbies in this shit yeah definitely 
It's like, dude, we got raid. We got fucking like, was there ants? Like, what's going on? It's like, <laughs> yeah. We're such boomers with this. But no, dude, I appreciate uh, that a lot. Nicole. Speaking <laughs> of Metallica, is that cool if I bring up? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, so I remember Dan Eggers, our old guitarist in Odious. He, he he was like a couple years older than us, like three years older and stuff, you know. And so for him, he was like, dude, I remember I saw that like the tour with Metallica and Guns N' Roses, like the you know it was like ninety one or yeah, ninety two. I was or at that one. Yeah, you were, dude. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, I was like nine or something, you know. I was like, that's insane. Like, to- totally didn't go, you know. But dude, that that would have been like insane, dude. That that, time. that concert, the stadium tour, that was actually the concert in in Montreal where James Hetfield got burnt with pyro. Oh really? Um, oh. And uh, yeah, that that was it. And that concert turned into this crazy thing. So, um, we went to the show and Faith No More was Damn. opening up, right? So it was Faith No More. They were opening up, and not even mm. Faith No More. They were great in that. And uh, it was Metallica and then it was Guns N' Roses. And I remember Metallica, uh, you know, went on and they played for, gosh, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And at one point in in Fade to Black, right, which is the ballad and all that, you know, like Mm -hmm. at the start, the pyro goes up. Man, it's freaking crazy. Everyone's freaking out. And then, you know, the pyro goes down and no one's on stage. And I just see Jason Newstead, the bassist just kind of like get backstage yep. really quick. And I thought, oh, we're not screaming loud enough. Like they're going to come out. It's going to be just, <laughs> oh, let me hear you scream. Or something, oh, you know? yeah. And there's still no one on stage and there's still no one on stage. And then yep. we're waiting and we don't know what's going on. And we waited for about 10 minutes. And Lars came out and said, look, there's been a pyro accident. James got burnt, got burnt with pyro. And we're waiting to hear from the paramedics and, and that. Uh, so just hang tight and we'll let you know what happened. So he goes backstage and of course people are like, Oh shit, what's going to happen? You know? So he goes backstage. We wait for another 15 minutes. Maybe he comes back out. He's like, look, we're still waiting to hear back from it. Uh, you know, from, from what's going on, what we need to do, just hang tight and we'll be back. And then we waited for probably another, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then it's the three guys without, I'm saying three, but I got four, the three guys that come out. (laughs) from backstage and James is not with them. And it's like, ah, shit. Okay. So Lars takes the mic and he said, yeah, he's on his way to the hospital. We cannot continue the concert and we will be back for you. We will play for you. We will be back to Montreal. And we promise that. Not to butt in real quick. I literally watched that video today. I literally watched that today. Just like, remember that, that the spark or the the flames going up or yes. not the flames the pyro yeah. going up and then all of a sudden yeah. you hear you hear like his guitar sound like all the strings yeah. get like snapped off of it it sounds yeah. like you hear it just clang, sounds clang, mm, clang, like yeah it stuff sounds like super that weird yeah, and then yeah. all of a yeah. sudden like you just see like Lars like throw down his drumsticks and then I saw I didn't see the other two appearances but it's, I saw the one where they're like James is on the on the way to the hospital we'll make yeah. this up to you well I literally yeah. watched this this morning when I was at yeah. work like yeah it's crazy yeah. he brought that and, up and what's really cool is they did make that promise and. So they they went backstage and then we're waiting for Guns N' Roses. And I wasn't really a Guns N' Roses fan, but, you know, I thought, well, okay, well, I'm here and pay mm-hmm. for the ticket, so I'll just watch it. And uh, they played, I think, about 25 minutes. And then Axl Rose at one point said, uh, F you, you'll get your money back. Smack the microphone on the on the stage oh, and walked right. off. So the riots? And people are like, then the riots started. That's right. I've like heard, yeah, fires I that, that yeah. were set in the stadium and cop cars flipped upside down and freaking merch booths being raided man it was man we saw that and we're like we need to get out of here like fast i mean it was 
You know, we need was, all the crazy. merch right now for free. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the really cool thing is Metallica did come back several months later and they played two sold out nights at the uh, forum uh, in Montreal. And what was really cool is the tickets were at the, t- of course, this is several years ago, but nonetheless, they were $12.50. People Jeez. had paid for the concert at the stadium. They didn't play for the entire time. They did two sold out nights for $12.50. And wow. three years before, they were headlining for the Injustice for All tour, and the tickets were $24.50 at the time, just to kind of give you an idea. So the $12.50 yeah. was about half price of three years before that, right? So it was made, you know, so they really came back to play for the fans because they had not had the chance to finish the concert and people had paid money and that's how they treated the fans. You know, I mean, it it was, it was really cool to see a band that big that was taking care of their fans that well, you know, I mean, that was really impressive, you know, and man, Lars talk about Lars again, you know, he came to the mic and he made a promise and, you know, I mean, of course, there's the whole Metallica team around it, but they made it happen, you know, which is which is really cool. So aren't they aren't like the they the only uh, act to play on on all seven continents or some shit like that? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. They did like yeah. Antarctica or something. Right. Yeah. That's wild, dude. That's a that's, that's a big that's a big D move. You know, metal, like, dude. It's, it's like, metal. all right. <laughs> We're gonna play on all continents, play on the ice. I'm just like there'll be like nine <laughs> people there and the, one of them will die. that's awesome i mean lars also too i mean i actually have looking back in retrospect you know obviously the napster thing you know he took a hit a little bit obviously yeah that's one um, thing and then the documentary too well the thing is though i mean the 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 napster thing i remember uh seeing interviews with other people and stuff or other like big artists and stuff and they were on fucking team lars they were on they were like team lars this is of course we're getting ripped off we need to like you know and like Lars stood up and saw the instant, or everyone saw the instant hate, and everyone was just like, "Okay, well, no, what, you know, you can have our, you can like, you can download our stuff for free, whatever." Because like, because Lars jumped out there and was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna like all these like even like from you know, hip hop to like to rock to metal and stuff." They were all just like, "Fuck yeah, dude, keep keep the you know strong fight, man. This is fucked up." And then once Lars stood up and did it. Like everyone was like, uh, no, I don't know that guy. It's all good. And they just like totally bailed on him. And oh, like, yeah, really? That's... Wow. Yeah, I was like really just kind of messed up about like how he he was doing the, you know, fight for them. And then people are doing these like mass Metallica CD burnings. And, and it was Jeez. like turning into this like humongous thing. And then he took such a such a huge hit for that. But it wasn't like, you know, everyone was on his side. He just that's spoke up a weird it. reaction, though, to like burn his shit because he's like i don't want people stealing it. it's hard for me to like even put myself in that perspective now with spotify and youtube and stuff like it's, it's really like he was like... it's like he was king nothing or something <laughs> yeah yeah it's <laughs> wear your crown but no like literally like back then i mean you know it was it almost i don't know it was such a new thing and people the people didn't ha- understand any kind of ramifications for the music industry and stuff they didn't understand what that meant they were like oh i can get this music i want to listen to your music and you're you're, you're going to sue me or something for listening to your music is kind of how people took it. And they're like, you're already rich. Like, why do you, like, why are you, you need to do this anymore? And, uh, but, uh, he basically just, you know, basically he slowly was like, shit, <laughs> like, you know, after that, all that stuff hit. But, uh, yeah, just was Napster a paid thing or free? No, it was free. It was all free. It was, it was free. like a brand new, it was just file sharing and stuff. There was a bunch of other services, but they, 
they were the popular one that everyone could go download and you could download your viruses wherever you wanted to download them because that's basically like <laughs> a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of those files were like oh dude it's it's fucking master of puppets master of puppets.exe <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the 90s did you guys enjoy the super bowl uh, halftime show there oh, i actually Jesus. did that was that was, dude, a throwback. was so good dude that was yeah so great but it's dude. funny because they were all facing one way the whole time so whoever was sitting on the other side of the stadium was just seeing like everybody's back of their heads and butts, yeah i did yeah I, I didn't watch it but i saw the video afterwards and you know when they showed the first layer when they were playing in the living room i thought like yeah there's three walls so anyone that is not facing them in front are not seeing anything that's going on you know yeah I don't know, that's kind of unfortunate they paid for know, the cheap but... seats apparently yeah. cheap, they probably, the set, up, they probably set up some kind of yeah. screen for people to see on that side of what mm -hmm. was going on because yeah, like you can watch it on your phone live <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah scan this qr code you can watch it on your phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was definitely. It's. I mean, also too. Like, I'm really good at telling uh, lip syncing, and there was a lot of lip syncing with that too. I was like, "What oh, are you talking no. about?" <laughs> I was like, nowadays, I mean, I was like, say if, that. That's not. If true. you're gonna do it now, I mean, it's like I don't know. It's easy to see it now. I don't know. For me, I can. Eminem see. definitely seemed oh, like Eminem triggers. Eminem's triggers were for sure. He was missing guys. lines. <laughs> there was like times where the mic wasn't even at his mouth, and you'd hear him. Yeah, yeah, he just feel he like pull it, pull it back, but it there's still a voice. That drummer, dude, that shit was quantized, man. That, <laughs> yeah. that well, actually, if you look on, at least I, I don't know if there was only one drum kit, but the drum kit had no mics, no cables. There was nothing on that. <laughs> He's yeah, all playing. Yeah. It's like, dude, that guy's. No, I was <laughs> yeah. at a party actually, well, a little small party, and we were just hanging out. And uh, dude, fucking like, uh, like there was like the, the the like the show was going on, and there was this girl there, and she was like, oh my god, it sounds so good. That drummer's so good, like. Oh my god, I can't believe how good it sounds. And I was just like, okay, yeah, never mind. I didn't want to say anything. I was just like, okay. it was like that one time when, when there was like a red hot chip peppers thing, and then Flea just comes out and everyone's like, yeah, and he's just not plugged in. And I'm just like, and everyone's like, what? It's Flea, fuck yeah. And I'm like, dude, where's the yeah. cable? There's no, there's no, no wireless. There's like an empty port. Yeah, There's such I'm wondering good sound the, out there. Yeah, I'm wondering if the, the part of the reason for that is that, I mean, they have like a football game, right? And these are like massive stadiums and it's a, a technological challenge to get all the production to work well and have the good speaker systems and having everything mixed. So I, I'm wondering if that's basically like you played the Super Bowl. It, it is what it is, you know, and hopefully there's not too much hate from, uh, you know, what we're talking about on, on the chat or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm wondering if that is possibly the 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 management that that just says like well, i i would say you either that, do it, it or you don't you know and that's i mean also is, too so. there's like lady i saw lady oh, gaga's yeah, and she was yeah. totally live like you can hear the mic noise you can hear everything she's running around the whole time and like i think it's just it, like you said management it's coming down to management like do you guys want the opportunity or the chance of yeah. having something go yeah. shit go wrong like do you want that chance mm -hmm. or do you want it to sound perfect like mm -hmm. you have two options like yeah there's a lot of things that can go wrong with the, I bet obviously you with the live i bet you that the that the live mic isn't even live though <laughs> think about that dude killer oh, no, put might, that in your go, pipe and smoke it dude well they <laughs> might go in i mean one thing like, is like what i what, what, what if did, she's lip syncing to the live fucking no 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 that's what i'm bro, saying they, they could go into the the studio or do something like dude. they could do like they a live secrets you know what they doesn't have secrets is freddie mercury dude well, Freddie Jesus, Mercury. That was, that was all lip syncing. That Freddie was Mercury is Queen. He's a fallen like the, angel. He's literally like, the quintessential front man, dude. When you watch that, he never did the Super Bowl, that I've never had. met Freddie Mercury, but I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Dude, he's never that, done the Super Bowl either. What is that? What's that Blu-ray called that you had? That you showed me? With oh, dude, any any of them, any of them, dude. Any you live, had one that where dude, I just watch like, any wow, live dude. Queen he's performance dancing, ever. He's singing. He's any of them. playing piano. He's fucking oh, doing everything. Is there like dude. a? Is there like a bad Queen Freddie Mercury? Fuck. There was like one time where he's like, oh, he's or something, you know. All right, let's, on, let's, get, the, let's get the mercury here. Let's get the machetes out and get out of the weeds a little bit. <laughs> <All right>. Yeah, <laughs> just hack our way out of Shut, these weeds. Jump back into the fucking. Yeah. All right, back to the good path. discussion though. I think I know, that I was think good. That was still, good. I like. Yes, that. definitely. I think we were still in high school, dude. Did we even talk about? Was there pre Quo Vadis bands that you were? Yeah, yeah. There was uh, some friends in my in my class in high school actually that uh, we were called Deadstock, and that Deadstock. was like a metal. That, uh, you know, I mean, of course, the the one of the guitarists was really into Megadeth and Annihilator. Another of the guitarists was really into like Obituary and stuff like that. Of course, I was into, you know, Slayer a lot. Um, and uh, the bassist was obviously in uh, Overkill, right? Uh, because of D.D. Verney and that. So it's like everyone had their own instrument hero in that. And, you know, we we played together for I think probably about two and a half years and when we uh, graduated from high school uh, we went to different schools in that and we tried to kind of maintain the band and we're still friends to this day actually we still have chat going on with the whole group and that so uh, nice. they're really uh, cool guys um, but the, the being at different schools and with all the work and stuff like that um, they started being more into well, at least the guitarist at the time uh, started kind of more going towards funk music and he was listening more to like kind of lighter music than than metal and and for me i mean you got i mean slayer dave lombardo that was like my thing right back then so uh the the kind of lighter music i i wasn't so much into but we did record a song and uh it was called this ain't club med and it was a <laughs> funk song it was like a mix between like rap and funk yeah. and it's actually pretty neat um and we did that song for uh you know for fun and and uh self-funded and uh, you know everything uh, but you know, um, but because it wasn't really the style of music I wanted to play, um, it kind of drifted off a little bit. It didn't work out so much. Um, and, um, yeah, that was in, in grade 12. And then, um, that's when the Quovatis stuff started. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, in, in Quebec, the way the schooling system works is grade 12 and 13. It's like a pre-university. It's not high school and it's not university. It's just kind of like, a, they call it CGIP. Um, it's, it's like a college or something like that. So anyways, um, we start and I remember there was a guy uh, in one of my classes. He had like Megadeth shirt or, you know, just Slayer shirt, you know, stuff like that. And I'm here at this new school looking for people that want to play metal. And I don't know anyone that's liking metal, right? I mean people listening to pop music and all these other things. And, you know, I just wanted to, to you know, play metal. <laughs> totally. So I talked to the guy and the guy already had a band and he's like, you know, uh, we already have a drummer. And I was like, oh, you know, I just really like the jam because it had been maybe a year that I hadn't played with a metal band because the other guys were more going funk and I just wanted to play with some guys. And at one point that guy that I was talking to once in a while, like, hey, you still have your drummer? Yeah, you do? Oh, okay, all right, well, crap, you know, I'll ask him in another two months or something, you know. Uh, he was friends with Ari, who was one of the guitarists in, that ended up, you know, being in, in Quovatis and all that, you know, but at the time, Quovatis didn't exist. So he's talking to Ari, and Ari's told me the story, like, years after, that the guy's like, 
this drummer, you got to get him off my back. He keeps bugging me every X amount of weeks <laughs> saying, hey, do you want to jam? Do you want to do something? And, uh, you know, Ari's like, all right, well, he sounds like a pain in the butt. So like, yeah, whatever, you know, so, you know, and then a few months later, it'd be like, hey, you want to jam? You want, you know, I'm just like, I just want to play, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, at one point, um, I did end up speaking to Ari because Ari always had him. It was like Megadeth. Everything was Megadeth. Right. And, and Carcass, actually. And we got in touch. And I remember Bart also, Bart and I and Ari were going to the same place, you know, the same school in sciences and that. And uh, I remember at one point there, the, that school, you could kind of like borrow um, from the music department, like a guitar at your lunchtime or something like that. And I remember Bart sitting down on the stairs with a classical guitar playing Slayer, you know, like, and I was like, oh, he's playing Slayer. Oh, cool. And, you know, he had his long hair and he was playing and his face was like, you know, like really, <laughs> you know, playing. And I thought like, oh, wow. All right. So she, so. At one point, I'm talking to Ari, and I'm, and you know, ended up talking to Bar. We were like, it, it wasn't like the three of us talking. It was kind of a little bit separated because nothing had happened yet or anything. And uh, you know, um, I said, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if we could uh, jam together. And you know, they said so. Again, this story I I learned from Ari and Bart like uh, quite a while later, right? So I just wanted to jam with them, and they said, well, what can you play on drums? And they said, well, I, you know, they asked me that. So I said, well, I can play Slayer. I can play Metallica. I can play Anthrax. I can, you know, so I just named off a whole bunch of bands and they're like, hmm, okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see, you know, no, nothing really came out of it. And what I found out many months or possibly even years later is that they were auditioning drummers at the time. And there were drummers that was telling them, yeah, I can play Slayer, Metallica, all these things. And they get to the practice space and the drummer could not play well. And it was just, you know, not really good. And here I am telling them the same thing that every other drummer has been telling them. Yeah, I can play Slayer. I can play Anthrax and all that. So at one point they're like, ah, okay, then maybe, maybe we do have a rehearsal with them. So the night that they came over, they almost canceled because Bart was telling Ari, I don't want to deal with a freaking other drummer that says he can play and he can't play. And then we have to tell him, no, it's not working out. Just leave us alone. And they almost canceled. They almost really canceled. Mm. But, uh, you know, um, I'm pretty sure it was Bart that was one. And there was Ari. I can't remember. But even one of the two was was saying that. And the other one said, well, let's just try it. And look, worst case, we'll lose an hour and that's it. And we'll just have to deal with the repercussions after telling them, no, leave us alone, you know, whatever. So they show up. And of course, they show up. They're super quiet. They're tense because they don't want to deal with having to tell me later in, in not these words, but in nicer words than you suck, leave us alone. We don't want to see you again. <laughs> so they're all like super quiet. They're all in their zone and no one's really talking. And here I am excited. Like, all right, I got some guitars to play with. This is going to be so cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. they plug in, they take, they put our power on their amps. And cause you know, I mean, the, my drums was at my parents, right? So they're coming over to my parents' house. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, plug in their amps and they're just not very happy to be there and just kind of like, just like blah you know mm -hmm. and that's all and then uh, they're like so what do you want to play and i said well you said you you know this and you know that and you know that you want to play your slayer song so like okay starts playing a slayer song a guitar and of course for me i know slayer like crazy right so i'm like oh gosh 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 to get to get to get to get to and as they're playing they both look at each other they look at me 
and then the freaking smiles goes on their face <laughs> and then we're nice. jamming and everyone all of a sudden is smiling and happy and then that completely changed everything wow absolutely That's everything cool. and they almost canceled and just didn't want to have to put up with anything and oh, look at what happened with Colbert. if they would have canceled there would be mm-hmm. well i mean they would have probably gone on to do other bands and myself uh, you know as well but if they would have canceled it would not have been what you know Quovatis ended up turning into you know with the year so that was the first Quovatis practice that probably was in the winter of 93 I okay think. i was gonna ask oh, yeah. yeah nice yeah. So were they like, what are you doing tomorrow, dude? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah like, for sure. Right. Gosh, this is so cool. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, so they're like, like a date you're way too excited about. So, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, dude, uh, what were you like playing? Like, like what kind of kit back then were you doing? Just like, like a single kick drum or like two kick drums? Did, what kind of pedals were you using? Just because you were playing fast kicks. That's the thing. <clears throat> you have like an insanely rad style. Like you're, as they say, like real tasty on the top, you know, like your hands are great. As Chasen <laughs> said, I like, I like his quote on that. Shout out to Chasen. But, uh, dude, um, but your feet are like insane and, and you've always had insane feet. And we talked about that first album, nothing from 96 where your feet were unedited and they sound like, yeah. like yeah, edited almost. It's fucked or that up. Video we so, recently watched again on the show yeah. of Ithaca. I mean, he's fucking on point that whole fucking song. Dude. <laughs> 96 is early bro that's to be like that's like sandoval shit like you're like insane like Derek roddy and like i don't i mean i've always loved covatis but like it's just like it's crazy to think how you that was so how did you get that sound like what like in that first jam like in those early times like what was your kit like like what kind of pedals were you using to do that yeah so when when i bought my first drum kit i was already like into the the dave lombardo slayer and you know and of course all of them had two bass drums, four or five toms, a floor tom or two when these cymbals. And of course, I'm just starting out. And remember, my parents said, you want a drum kit, you buy it with your own money. How do you, as a 14-year-old, you know, boy that is in school and and trying to work to, to, you know, get money (laughs) for Mm -hmm. this drum kit, I found a used drum kit that was in the newspaper um of course because you go back to the year right there, there's uh, you know i don't know if there was internet back then or whatever but it certainly wasn't what it is today yeah. so you're looking in the newspaper in the classifies or whatever and um uh, i just made some calls and it's funny because i think the first or at most the second drum kit that i went to check out with uh, my parents was the one that i ended up buying and i remember um it had four toms one bass drum, a snare, one floor, two crashes, and a hi-hat and a snare. So I, I basically had four toms, but one bass drum. That That's what it was. And the guy was asking $500 for it. It was a Max Win, mm-hmm. a dark red Max Win. And I still have the 10-inch. Every drum kit that I've owned in my life, I've always kept the 10-inch tom. So I still have that one uh, here <laughs> nice. you know, with me. But anyway, so... I didn't have a double bass, uh, you know, the two bass drums. And back then the double pedals didn't exist. Right. So um, I, and of course, back then there wasn't as much double bass drumming as there is now. So I would play without the double bass drum. And of course, because I'm learning, you know, I'm, I'm learning the kit at that point. Right. So I'm not like, oh yeah, I'll buy a double pedal at the music store. They didn't exist. Right. So you're just kind of learning. And, uh, at you know before i got the the second bass drum because i've always had two bass drums i've never played a a double pedal 
you know, a few months before I bought the second bass drum used to practice double bass drumming, if you want to call it double bass drumming, I had a foot on the bass drum pedal and a foot on the hi-hat pedal. And I would kind of do this to get some <laughs> practice of the, the motion, but yeah, wasn't doing yeah. it much because it's just not the right feel and the right sound in that. Um, but, uh, but anyways, yeah. So, um, eventually I got a second, uh, you know, bass drum and, and started, and that was when, when I was with the high school band, right. That kind of started metal, but kind of went funk. So I was doing a little bit of double bass then, but it's really with Quovatis that, uh, that it kind of started and Quovatis started as a cover band, right? We were, uh, Slayer, Metallica, um, Megadeth kind of Anthrax cover band. That's how the band started. Our first shows were covers. Um, we may have had one or two originals, maybe a few shows later, but the first shows started off like that. You know, so I mean, that's what we was did. your was your house the the rehearsal spot after that? Yeah, yeah. My house was the rehearsal space until probably that kind of day and tonight times that we did a few years at Ari's parents. And after that, once we got a little bit later than that, then there was the the rehearsal space that we were paying every month and stuff like that. So, yeah, but at that time it was my parents' house. Yeah. So a lot of patience on their part to hear, yeah. you know, some people with loud amps and, and drums that were loud. So, yeah. <laughs> but they, hey, they probably as parents, they're just like, hey, they're here safe. Yep. In this space, making mm -hmm. things and, and having fun. We know yeah. where they're at. That's that's probably they're like, yeah. oh, we'll just turn the TV up really loud on the yeah. other side. We'll of the deal house. with the noise yeah. for, the, for the yeah. You put the TV louder, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then maybe after an hour and a half, it's like, Yannick, I think it's time yeah. for your friends to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. We've endured enough for the evening. But yeah. we used to jam at my place in high school, like in a. We actually started odious like around that time like yeah we, we were jamming and like my parents got into riding motorcycles so they would leave and it'd be like all right so they're going for a ride we're jamming sunday you guys riding yeah we're going we're going for a ride it's like all right so it's like we're gonna jam you know 11 o'clock sunday that's like and then we like hear the harleys like right away and we're like you know? <laughs> yeah. and then my sister would like she, she she was like a teenager or whatever and so it was like she got like sick of being around the house like as we were jamming so she started riding the motorcycles with the parents <laughs> just oh, to like get she didn't out. want to be there when you guys yeah. were jamming is that it or <laughs> yeah totally it's like right before yeah. they left you're just all like playing like fucking classic rockets you're like yeah dude let's play yeah, some totally. fucking skinner dude and then like yeah they take off it's just like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> no but it's funny having your parents that like, come up and like watch you play death metal in front and then my mom got like her ears plugged and she's like trying to like understand like what's going on <laughs> she's just like i don't get it but okay you know cool. i'm glad you like it honey i can tell I'm... you're very fast your hands are going very fast That's, you guys are very fast that's all i could say it's just very fast it's funny that our parents were the first people to kind of give us that like pushback a little bit like okay well it sounds cool but like they were the first one to like actually do that and then like after you start showing it to your friends or other friends that are into metal and stuff they're just like okay well you know the vocals i'm just not really into but you know they, they say the kind of the same thing i mean my my dad was the same one just like saying like okay well yeah the music's cool but um yeah what's you know what's and but, imagine being the vocalist so you're like here's my <laughs> band and they're like uh, and then you meeting my dad my dad's like i fucking love anthony dude anthony's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and i think one of the differences is probably some of the people that have kids nowadays grew up with death metal so they're used to the screaming and the, the growls totally. and stuff like that yeah it's but normal. for you know for me growing up in the 80s my, 
my parents it was didn't brand grow new. up with that, right? I mean, that that wasn't the case, right? So this is completely alien to them, right? So that was I don't know what they were thinking, like, oh gosh, is this like a phase or this like crazy <laughs> thing that they're going through? I don't know. Whereas these days, parents are just like, yeah, I I was listening to that too at your age and whatever. So yeah, I I don't know, but totally, it's like a, my dad like immediately saw the uh, like a, me having a Marilyn Manson CD and was like, nope. He's all you could do all the yelling stuff, but not this. He was like the Marilyn Manson <laughs> thing, like touch. You know, he was like touched him in a certain way. We was like, no, I'm not, I'm not it putting it, up it, with this. It hit but, a nerve, yeah. Yeah, it's like, but you can do all the yelling stuff now. It's like oh, that made the yelling kind of like, because because Marilyn Manson was popular and he got to see like on the news what the fuck he was doing. You know what I mean? It was like he got to see like the oh he went to the award show and then showed his butt and then like ripped a bunch you know it's like my dad's just like all right dude i don't want i don't want that i don't want that i'll do the yelling stuff i'll take the yelling for uh, a 300 alex trebek oh, was it God. like <laughs> assless chaps or something that he was wearing exactly exactly wow. yeah that was that definitely like softened the blow for him though just like seeing that he's like oh, okay well, I... my cousin eric's in the chat dude he's got a question he says are there any other instruments you play besides drums what up eric Oh, uh, hey, Eric. Um, okay, well, thanks for the, the question. Um, I guess that was addressed to me, right? I, guess. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> okay. I really was just like, shoot. his family saw so I was just shoehorning him in. <laughs> oh, uh, um, I, the, the acoustic guitar, I kind of got back into it a little bit. And, it, and it's funny because uh, with the studio uh, here at Wave Transform, there's a band that came in at one point and the guitarist, he was playing acoustic guitar and he was having trouble kind of you know playing a good rhythm track you know like a really kind of good solid you know good timing in that and for me i don't play enough to be able to do the you know the the bar chords bar chords i think you call them there where your mm -hmm. your finger yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I but anything that isn't bar chords i i i can do rhythm acoustic guitar like pretty well like the timing and the playing in that and uh the second guitarist tried he said well let me try it so he tried it and he had trouble then the bassist tried and he couldn't do it. And the singer tried and he couldn't do it. And I said, what chords are you doing? And he said, C, D, G, and E. Mm -hmm. And I was like, none of those are bar chords. I said, do you mind if I try? And I took the guitar and I played and they said, can you record the acoustic guitar for us? I was like, yeah, sure. So I, you know, went and played the acoustic guitar oh, on wow. their, their album, but I, it's really not much, you know, like I have not played in a long time, but mm. to be able to get by if someone is having trouble and if they're very, very easy chords, then I could play acoustic guitar decently. But as soon as it gets into leads, any of the traveling stuff is nowhere. I wouldn't even call myself an early beginner um it would be an absolute zero on 10 and uh anything with bar chords sounds awful so it's got to be really easy <laughs> i'm jealous i'm actually going the stories you guys are telling i'm really actually jealous because i remember um my dad did the whole i remember the walk it was a walk to a grocery store we're in the parking lot and my dad's like hey so uh do you want to start like playing an instrument or something it's like i'm probably 13 or 14 maybe a little younger or older i don't know but um he, I was like, yeah, I want to play the drums. He's like, <laughs> well, anything else besides the drums? Because like we had like a, we had no room for it. You know, we had like, um, he had just got, he had just purchased a condo like a, in um, Santa Cruz, which is like we we're all like really squished in together, a little squished in together, and we we're basically like, you know, we got neighbors to to deal with and stuff. And my dad was like, well, it's like basically the nightmare 
instrument I, I said first. And my dad's just like, well, is there anything else besides that? Because my dad was a bass player, so he's like hoping I was going to be like, yeah, dude, bass. Can we do bass? <laughs> you know, like he was hoping I would just like drop the, yeah, I'm going to be like my dad. And I think that's where he was like, like that was the crossing the fingers. And I was like, drums. And he's all... He's all, nah, dude. Like, you can't, can't, you're not doing, you're not doing which is, that. Which is like, I mean, in reality, if you thought about it, he could have had a rhythm section right there, dude. If you if you started playing drums. Well, I mean, if electric drums. Well, being in a condo, like, dude, it's well, so funny that you're saying this because Trevor asked me, he's like, can I get a drum set? Well, today? now you can get an electric, you can get electric drum set with the headset yeah. headphones, and that's like probably the quietest instrument. Yeah, dude, they got those Elisis ones for like four hundred and something bucks. Yeah, it's like, and that's the quietest one they can have. It's like quieter than guitar, quieter than bass. It's like if you have the headphones on and it's just an, an e kit or something like, mm -hmm. like that that if that wasn't like those were like nine million dollars when I was a kid. That was like you know that was like you the just go to edge. Guitar Center just to sit down and play with one because you could never afford one. Yeah, no, totally. Oh yeah, no, they were just like the Lexus of drums. <laughs> it's like dude, they're fucking electric. It's like cell phones were just like you were like bricks and like drums were like that were electronic were like yeah ten thousand and you always like, felt like garth from wayne's world dude you just like want to rock out like he did in the movie <laughs> oh totally that's what i <laughs> that wanted that was to awesome do. <laughs> yeah, totally definitely that was the uh that was the main i mean that was what i wanted to do and i still like i actually am now thinking about like getting like some i don't know spending five or six hundred bucks on like some sort of e-kit or something or i don't know if you can call it an e-kit but drum kit electronic drum kit um to just kind of see what happens you know because put me behind a drum set right now it's like and it's usually when I'm, when I'm behind a drum set right now it's like five people watching too so i'm like i don't even get i don't get a chance to like just like hit stuff and just be like organic with it everyone's just like like it's like casey gets off the drums after doing like 280 beats per minute like fucking oh, like perfect fuck. double bass and like the gnarliest rolls i've ever heard what if what if joel just starts <laughs> shredding the drums dude That'd be i sick. mean well, you look at the stories like, like James King from Origin, like, you know, yeah. like he literally started playing for like a year or two and then recorded for Origin. He was like a guitar player and he's like, yeah, just, it just got into it and just went into Origin. No, like, but I've seen you got the, you got the wow. hand twitch. You can do like a fast. Yeah, block. I got the twitch. I got the things, you know, like, you I gotta, just have, <laughs> have you heard of, is it Ricardo Merlini? Have you heard of that guy? Mm -mm. Uh -huh. No. <clears throat> Check that dude out. He's like a, like Italian dude, I think. Um, And he's a. Uh, it's crazy drummer like really like, with that name come on i know yeah <laughs> he's, oh, but he, he's, he's like out. the fastest like super like he's like he's like his hand like he can do like these 300 plus beats like blast beats like super fast but it's like he's not just a metal guy like he like does his clinics and stuff but yeah he's insane that's like wow. a natural he's, twitch to no, a lot like, of stuff when you go see that you doing fast. that joel you you could like learn his technique i think i, I could see you because i've seen you do that like the fast twitch yeah yeah, yeah. No, I'd like have like Naveen, like we have like yeah. Joel's like, gonna be oh, fucking oh. looking at drum sets, yeah. tonight, dude. After no, I did last like, like two nights drum, ago. Yeah. I was looking at shopping. It. Yeah, yeah, there was like uh, I've like brought drummers down like on tour and stuff. I've been like that little twitch thing. I can like hit like I can twitch super yeah. fast. Oh yeah, now, your like, double finger on the on the table, dude. Yeah, and now like, have, like I've had Naveen and oh, like I've had a bunch of people like <laughs> try to do it with me, and they're like I'm like way faster than them. I'm like what the fuck? It's in you, dead. No, he was stoked. He's like, "Oh, dude, I, I get to pay one fifty for a fucking starter guitar set, and instead of like a yeah. humongous drum kit that's gonna ruin my life." <laughs> like, you know. yeah, I know. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I want to take it back when you guys are ready. Never. Are you guys ready? 
What do you guys think about Lars? I want okay. No, no, not that, not far back. I, I want to ask you, Yannick, about your drum recording on that first full-length album, which is forever. Wait, before right? that, before that, I want to know. So you were talking about the hi-hat one single pedal thing. So oh, you were doing that okay. for your tryout for Quovatis, and then when did you get the um, double kicks? No, the the double kicks I think I got a year before I started playing with Quovatis. So okay. by then I had I had some practice. Um it wasn't as good as what it is, you know, what it ended up being with, with time. Uh, mm -hmm. But it wasn't bad, you know. I mean, I, I could, you know, I mean, I, by then I'd been playing for two and a half years, I think. Um, and, you know, playing, you know, okay. I think maybe a year with the second bass drum. So I, I you know, it, it started kind of getting into it enough to get the guys to really kind of look at each other and smile on the first Quovatis, uh, you know, rehearsal that we had when Bart and Ari were, not very happy of being there and they were thinking of canceling and then when we played they all looked at each other and were like oh my gosh you know so it was enough to get them really kind of hyped up you know so yeah <laughs> nice all right so now we can get into what casey was going for <laughs> yeah so what was your question oh about your drums yeah yeah so like basically like <laughs> it's just on forever so how yeah like so how you record it like because it was in did, you, you you must have recorded in like 95 if it was, really uh, it was either 90 95 or 96. I, I think it was possibly early. 96 because we were early, recording yeah. during the summer. It was during summer months that we were recording. And I think that got released. Um, actually, you know what? It may have gotten released in the early 1996. It's possible. So it may have taken that long. But I remember recording drums that summer. And yeah. of course, you know, things, you know, with guitars and vocals taking a little bit longer and mixing. So, yeah, it's possible it was in the summer of... 95 or anyways 96 one of the two but yeah, right yeah. around that time yeah mm -hmm. so how did you record that like were you using triggers and stuff or like at that time yeah because that was kind of early you know people were starting to do that and everything yeah. yeah so forever had triggers on the bass drums and i remember yeah. uh cool. Pierre yeah. who was the sound engineer at the time mm -hmm. i was always interested in studio stuff but i had no idea what triggers were at the time and he said these little two things here are yeah. really cool. They're going to make your bass drum sound amazing. Wow. And it's kind of what funny. What kind of triggers were they? At the time, I think they were either Yamaha triggers or Alesis. Oh. I can't remember, but it was the okay. triggers that you, um, it was like a little capsule, probably the size of like a guitar pick or something oh, like, like the that. Little, yeah, yeah. And it had the, the kind of sticky, the double-sided tape. And you sure. used to stick it on the bass drum skin on the inside of the bass drum yeah halfway between the center and the edge it's the old school and that's how it is and you'd get double trigs and yeah sometimes it wouldn't so stuff like that but again that's the cool thing with the the two bass drums right is that you have half as many hit on each yeah, skin so it kind of helps uh, with For that sure. but i remember the first time i heard it i didn't really like it because all of the slayer albums and anthrax that i was listening to didn't have that ticky kind of tone to it and i wasn't really sure i liked it but then when i started hearing the definition then i thought oh that's really cool because you can really hear that you know the different um the the hits you can hear it really well even at high speeds it wasn't just kind of boomy and no detail and just a lot of kind of rumble i mean there was some definition on those albums but it's just with the triggers you get so many more high frequencies and high mids that the detail really kind of cuts through and you can hear them really Definitely. well so that's when i started like 
oh okay all right i think this is pretty cool all right let's yeah do it. so i yeah. i had triggers like in high school so like in the late 90s and mm-hmm. i got axis pedals like like 97 or 8 i got like a pair mm-hmm. like way back and i was like you know but uh but yeah man that's dude that's like crazy though that you were like doing that back then like i mean it's like 96 or recording that 95 I mean, that's like that's like around when domination came out and shit like in you know pierce pierce from within and like i don't know it was domination 95 i can't remember but it was like that's a crazy dude you, you were like right at that time with i don't there wasn't like a lot of bands i mean we there okay people people were doing triggers and stuff but it was like i don't know it's like it just sounds so like well like you also gotta time, think about like, you like, gotta think about how difficult it is to get an independent band stuff from canada down into the united states and circulated in the scenes down mm-hmm. here enough to where mm-hmm. before we finally get it you know we got it a little bit later because quo Vatis had to keep pushing out sick records for mm-hmm. us to be forced yeah. to come across it mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. it took yeah. our friend josh to show us and it was like oh my god they were like obsessed and then we like had all the albums and like watched the dvd all the time and stuff and that was like early 2000s like for us like you know um <clears throat> but yeah it's it's so like so recording that like it, it was just all natural drums and then like just yes. triggers on the kicks and yeah no it was edits just triggers all. on the kicks and no edits at all yeah Dude, that's exactly what people it was, if so, you yeah. don't know this album quill vaddy's nothing from 1996 dude that shit is yeah. slays dude like yeah. well, so good you. and like and the guitars <laughs> sound really good too i'm like damn it sounds great you know yeah. but yeah. i mean of course all your other stuff is amazing and people are asking about did didn't you do it when steve georgia of course he was on you know mm-hmm. What's the one called again? Um, let's get the oh, the Colvatus album that he did. Yeah, yeah. What was the uh, one? Those defined imagination. Yeah, defined yeah. imagination. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That was sick. I mean, uh, how many like, tracks was it? One or more tracks on that album that he did? On defined, he did the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mixed that yeah, up. Yeah. I'm sorry, because yeah. we were talking about we're talking about him featuring on something else. Sorry, I mixed it up. He's featured yeah. like on he's featured like on albums that haven't even you know come out yet he's like he's like the most professional gnarly musician he's like yeah on so many yeah, things yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah as as yeah no players. it's really amazing i mean yeah i mean but there's a reason for that right i mean he is totally phenomenal <laughs> oh definitely yeah, yeah definitely uh, uh, no he's um, your, your new project yeah. here of course uh, there's one thing i'd like to comment about since we were talking about triggers triggers um yeah. are yeah. a really misunderstood and criticized really you know technology and it's funny because uh the the last clinics i gave were in 2018 because of course after that covid started and all that and i know that triggers are a a very criticized technology and i thought you know what i'm going to incorporate the technology and the science of triggers into my clinic and i'm going to give examples and have people come up on the drum kit and show what triggers do and I will have an interface to record what the person, the attendee at the drum clinic that, you know, comes up on stage to show that this is not tricked. It's not, you know, anything. And they play because I, I put, you know, uh, triggers on the bass drums and I said, OK, don't hit hard. And I'm recording mm-hmm. the signal because I have Pro Tools on my laptop and I have an HDMI cable on my laptop being projected on the big screen, and they are seeing a live recording of what is going on on the stage during the clinic. Yeah. And I said, don't press on the bass drum pedal. Don't press hard. And he presses a little bit hard, and nothing is coming up on the screen. 
Then I said, okay, go a little bit harder. Then he goes a little bit harder, and then there starts being a little signal. And then go a little bit harder. Oh, the signal's a little bit, you know, higher velocity. And then the, you know, the SPL is greater, 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 and greater. And I said, you know, this is a really misunderstood, you know, uh, um, piece of technology because a lot of people think that, oh, the drummer's not really hitting for real. And that is not the triggers. That is the settings on the trigger module that does the sounds that you can remove the velocity and you can make it either all or nothing. So if you don't hit hard and you hit super hard, it comes out at the same volume. But a lot of people think nowadays, and this is really due to bad information that's gone around for some people on the internet, that they think it's either all or nothing. It absolutely isn't that way. That, so it's that, dynamic. Absolutely. And there are okay. a lot of levels of dynamics on that. And it, it, and I think it was kind of funny at that uh, clinic where I had that person from the audience to come up. And all I did was I had my laptop and I press record and I tell them what to do. And it was on the screen and people could see it. And it's like, oh, wow. And then I brought up a few um, articles that, uh, you know, uh, were interviews with uh, Andy Sneap, who's one of the biggest metal producers nowadays. And he said, yeah, bass drum, he pretty much, you know, uh, sound replaces pretty much 100 percent the, the, you know, the bass drums on the recordings. And uh, the toms could be maybe 50-50, depending on the drummer and the snare also. And I just brought up a few articles where Andy Sneap was answering and giving that. And I think that people were just surprised of, of, of reading that. And it's just because, again, it's a very, uh, I don't know if you call it a taboo topic or something like that, but it's, it's, a, it's a criticized technology. It's got its advantages and its disadvantages. But it's very misunderstood. I mean, what it is, is it, it's a piezoelectric uh, element. It's So what a piezoelectric uh, element is, is that if you apply um, greater pressure, you get more signal out of it. So what happens is if you have, like, say this is the, the bass drum skin right here, and you have the, the trigger that is clipped uh, with the piezoelectric element that is hitting the, the skin, there's pressure on it. And what happens is when the bass drum, when the, the drummer hits the drum skin, what happens is if you have the piezoelectric element here and then the drummer hits the skin and the skin goes like this, basically what that does is the piezoelectric element sends a signal to the module, but all of that is a function of how hard the drummer hit the skin. Interesting. So the trigger captures the dynamics of the drummer's playing. A absolutely. <laughs> so you said piezo. You said piezo. So that's the same technology with the guitar, with the pie, or I call it piezo, but the piezo, piezo, piezo pickups that they have to make it sound like an acoustic guitar is the same. Oh, technology it's possible. That's... Yeah, I'm not as familiar with that, and uh, but I mean, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, it's basically something like pick something up by like vibration i think as opposed yeah. to like like they'll like put it like on the bridge of the guitar like to it's like yeah. little pickups at the bridge of the guitar not on the pickups or anything it's like where are the you know the, the floyd roses or whatever but you can uh, set a guitar tuner to piezo or mic yeah, i didn't know pie piezo the same, same technology like, i didn't know that was like the vibration based because it yeah it definitely will yeah, like understand the dynamics would you say it's a sort of a wave transform Transformation. <laughs> I'm not Very the physicist good. here, so <laughs> yeah, I got a story about that one later. But yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of funny because the triggers. What happening is it's Pierre Mial, the sound engineer that got me into that in forever, right? And what ended up happening is when we did uh, uh, day and tonight, he had gotten this new drum module that was like the thing at the time that people didn't even know about yet, 
And Charlie Benente from Anthrax, um, he was, because of the drummer of Anthrax, that's how P.I. got to know about it. And it was a D-drum uh, module. And uh, at one point, P.I.'s band, Oblivion, was opening up for Anthrax on a like tour within Quebec or something like that for a festival. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked the sound engineer, how do you get Charlie Benante's drums sounding like that? And the sound engineer said, just wait a minute. He goes in the tour bus, he comes out and he says, this is the magic. And what it was, it was the D drum module. And I don't know if you've seen any of the drum kits from Charlie Benante during that time, but he had triggers on the bass drum, the snare, all the toms, everything was triggered everywhere. Okay. And what that was is that, and you got to remember at the time for live also, we're not talking about albums here. We're talking about live, you know, performances here. Right. Um, and what was happening is because everything was triggered, there is no bleeds. There's no bleed at all from the cymbals into the tom mics. Yeah. Right. And there's no like, oh, we were rushed for the sound check. It's not really a good, you know, mix or whatever. Or man, the toms are in the skins are in bad shape. The toms don't sound as good as they could and all that. So the D drum module, what they had was like these are tones that are recorded in the studio with amazing drum kits, great tuning, new skins, good microphones, preamps, and all that. And you had that in there. So what they did is they triggered the entire drum kit. And they may or may not have had that dynamics on or not. That I, I don't know. But the signal is is clean. And I remember talking to Pierre and another sound engineer afterwards, um, Yannick, um, same name as, as mine. And he was the guitarist and also a sound engineer for uh, Despised Icon, a whole bunch of other bands also. Mm -hmm. an amazing engineer. Both of those guys are amazing, amazing sound engineers. And um, he was like, man, triggers, yeah, they sound... They could sound really good live, but if you have technical problems with them, it's a fucking nightmare. And uh, it's like, hey, shit, okay, so do I want to do this? So I'm kind of talking to a few people. And at one point, we were looking at when Covatus wasn't playing as big um, venues, it's like four toms. That's a lot of mics. And what we started looking at is, well, with the triggers, you can get a stereo out which is two tracks, a left and a right, that has your whole tom mix for your five toms, <laughs> your four toms on the floor. So it's like, that'll take just two channels on the console. And the sound check might not be as critical in terms of like, oh, you got a buzz on your second tom because your skin's used. Can you put some gaffer tape on it with some Kleenex and you know, kind of stuff like that? It's like, oh, geez. And in Canadian winters, your drum kit is in a trailer in freaking like minus 25 Celsius on the way yep. there. You take it out, it gets a thermal shock to like, you know, room temperature. And then, you know, you do your sound check, opening bands play, room gets super hot, then it gets super hot and the skins that, you know what I mean? So it was yeah. kind of tricky, but we ended up using triggers at one point and really, they really worked out really well. Um, and I was fine with it because I had the dynamic settings on, you know, so it wasn't like, ah, oh, this sounds fake. I mean, it was sounding pretty good. So we just went along with it at the time. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Minus so real quick minus twenty five degrees Celsius is minus thirteen Fahrenheit for you Americans out there. And I just went through the uh, <laughs> I, had, 
I was like, that, is that like minus like 80 like Fahrenheit? Like, you know, like I don't even. <laughs> well, it's still really cold. It's still really fucking cold. Still yeah. really cold. Uh, Never experienced that cold ever. Oh, if I lived in like, oh, if I was a guitar player or anything like in uh, in that like territory, I would just be like, dude, I'm doing fucking carbon fiber, everything. I'm not messing with wood at all. Like, I'm not going to, yeah. the expanding and all the stuff with wood and like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's really cool to hear all the the technology behind that because I mean, I mean, especially like I mean, there's even people talking about the the, the piezo saddles and stuff in there, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like really like it's very cool technology to to bring into drums because yeah, as a as a non drummer, I thought it was all or nothing. I thought it was if the if that you know the hammer hits or the the mm-hmm. the frequency hits, if it's like one of those clip ons, that's just it's gonna be like okay, pre recorded sound, maybe like change the sound up a little bit sonically mm-hmm. like with a lot of those double bass drums uh programs or whatever or not don't mm-hmm. just drummer programs that just have like they're like have different sounds but they're pretty much the same but like they make it a little different so like you can hear mm-hmm. that it's like not just the same you know like it's like it's yeah basically dynamic so people can you could put fake drums in there and people would be like okay mm-hmm. well that sounds good you know it's not like a fucking the old school drum machine you know one of yeah those. yeah yeah but yeah yeah that's it's really cool to hear all that i mean yeah there's not really a way i don't think I mean, for if let's say you're playing like a an arena or something, and I was watch, I just saw a fucking Opeth, um, you know, maybe two months ago, and just I was noticing the frequencies that how how they were bouncing around a big, it's a humongous theater, so the the the, the roof is probably I don't know like 50, 60 feet high, and then it's it's really deep too. So I was thinking to myself, you have to use triggers. So, I mean, and even with guitar stuff, I was like, the guitars were getting lost like in that because it was such so much bouncing going around that like the guitars mm-hmm. were just turning into a kind of yeah, you know, for me. wall the noise type exactly and the, and the drums sounded amazing and i was like you know there's definitely like just the way the frequency travels probably is, has a lot to do with it but but something about like i was i was thinking to myself like in those big venues with uh, i mean also too a really good sound guide helps but um yeah i was thinking just the way that the sounds travels from the stage to the back of the room like there, there, there's and obviously up on you know hitting the fucking ceiling and stuff and coming down, mm-hmm. like there's, there's got to be. I mean, to me, I was trying to think of like you know the million dollar invention, and I was like, there's got to be the only way I could think of that it would work would be guitars would be like these sectioned speakers every couple rows or something, That's mm-hmm. like to make it so you could hear everything. Because I'm like, I'm I'm deaf in one ear and I hear like a lot of like a white noise. Anyways, I'm um I've tinnitus really bad. But like, oh, yeah, but as far as like hearing like, you know, sonically perfectly with guitars, like drums were, were nailed bass. I could hear perfectly like vocals were, you know, probably second worst as far as like how it traveled. But um, just something I feel like there's something there. There's like a million dollar invention there with just like little strip speakers that go down every few aisles or something for guitars or something just to make it like bounce perfectly. Yeah. And uh, you think... being like a recording engineer, I mean, I want to hear your take on that. Yeah, so I, I think part of the problem sometimes is the the acoustics in venues, right? I mean, this mm. is not like uh, an acoustically designed space like what you kind of see here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, you know, part of it sometimes is the room. Part of it is the tone that is going into the the microphones or into the board, and part of it is the the sound engineer, you know. Um, and I think that kind of I'll go and a part of it is the musician too right because i know mm-hmm. for drums for for live if there's a lot of noise on stage and the drummer isn't hitting hard on the uh, on the toms 
the the signal that is going to be given to the sound engineer might not allow him or her to do what the sound engineer would really wish you know wish to to do because the, it's just not good enough for them to be at their optimal um you know tone mm. you know yep. so you can have the same sound engineer and you give them you know a good musician that is very experienced in playing live and the other one not so much and the band will sound different will sound completely different you know um and for drums uh, well i i'm obviously i know that just because that's my instrument right so i studied that for a while so drums for for live usually drummers choose thicker shells because um they're louder so when you have a thicker shell the downside is you have less resonance but it's louder and they're less sensitive typically so what a lot of drummers do is in the studio they'll have like a thinner uh, shell like a less plies or less thickness uh, you know on the toms or, or stuff like that but for live you want to go to a little bit thicker to get that volume and you gotta hit hard on on the drums you know pierre when we did day and tonight actually um I always was interested in, in studio stuff. And I was there when he was working on the mix. And at one point I said, hey, can you bring up the volume of my toms? And he looked at me and uh, of course, Pierre and I had a good relationship. So this is going to sound like he was a little bit not nice, but he didn't mean it in a not nice way. <laughs> he, he, it's just because we had a good, he goes, Yannick, you want to hear what's in your tom tracks? And I said, sure. So we soloed my tom tracks. And I said, what was that? He said, that's you hitting the toms. And I thought, oh okay all right he goes you know when i tell drummers you gotta hit hard you really have to hit hard and there was only so much that he could do with the toms to get him to sound really good and i'm not saying they sounded bad but he would have been able to do more if i would have played better mm -hmm. and i think that was that that was my eye opener that changed my drum playing for the rest of my life, actually, you know, from, from, I think when we were mixing, that was in 1999, I think when we were mixing that. And, um, that was like the whole crap moment. And then I rehearsed a lot and was hitting hard on the, the toms and the snare. And by the time we recorded, uh, you know, define imagination, it was Jim Morris that ended up mixing that. And he's like, man, your tom sound good. And that, and that's because I had been practicing a long time, a really, you know, hitting super hard on, on the toms to really get, get a good tone out of the toms. And that's why the toms sound the way they sound. Well, first of all, because I mean, I, I hit harder and I, I was playing better, but also because Jim is an absolutely phenomenal sound engineer also, but it's like, you have to have the, the combination of those two things. You need to have a good room, which live venues, you don't always have that. You need to have a good engineer. You need to have good musicians and the good musicians, you, you know, that that's required. You mm -hmm. really need that. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's mm -hmm. like going back to like the the Mike Keen episode where we're talking about tone, and he's like, we're talking about pickups, and I'm I'm getting like super specific on like woods and stuff like that, and it's just kind of like, it's like turns out he's all it's you know the the secret the trade secret it's in your fucking hands like it's in yeah. your, it's yeah. in it's like you know that's the trade secret it's like you know we could you could buy the you could buy, you know, some cheap, uh, you know, Squire Strat pickups, and it will sound good if your hands are good. You know, you could, yeah. or you can get the, you know, insane EMGs or whatever, whatever you need yeah. to get, and it, it just depends on your hands. And it's kind of yeah. like what you're saying with drums. It's like it's just about how you play them. You know, like or you could you trigger all the toms. You know, like if you want yeah. to. <laughs> with the dynamic well, that actually triggers. happens. I think that happens a lot nowadays because I think. Um, 
the trend in drumming since the 70s, um, you've seen that the cymbals were very high back then, you know, what much higher than the toms, but that's because you didn't have sound replacement at the time. So if you didn't yep. have that distance, the 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 cymbals would bleed into the toms. Mike right? Mangini. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I think that's gone away with time because you can get good tones by doing sound replacement now, right? So now you can get the cymbal right next to the tom and you don't even have to hit hard on the tom. And if the sound engineer sound replaces it in the studio and the album, you hear like, oh, wow, the drums sound crazy good. And yeah, if they were sound replaced, anything's going to sound good and, and edited, you know, but it still gets to back alive. If you don't have that separation between the cymbals and the toms and you're not hitting as good, your drum sound live will not sound as good as if you really lay into the, you know, the toms and the snare and the bass drums, you know, pretty well. And you have the separation of the cymbals being away from the toms, you know? So um, I think that's gone away a bit because of sound replacement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Time, money too. It's like a lot mm -hmm. of people are just, you know, deciding to use the uh, replacement because it's, you don't have to sit like there forever and figure stuff yep. out in the studio forever. You can just yep. go boom. Sounds good. Let's move yeah. on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And no, but you're absolutely right. Right. I mean, if a band comes in and it's their first album and they say, oh, well, you know, we want to get something really good, but you know, they don't want to, you know, change snare skins three times throughout the album and spend all this time tuning and same thing with the toms. Right. If you say like, you know, when I do a drum recording, I buy three to four sets of tom skins and we change them after, you know, and spend time tuning. And actually my, uh, Julie, the singer of Gone in April, she's the one that tunes my drums. I don't tune my drums because she plays violin. She's got the fretless instruments. Oh, so wow. Her intonation is really good. Mm. And so she tunes the drums and she does live also. So when we're playing, you know, it's like I set up the drum kit with, with you know, uh, people that help me out and she goes around and checks the drum uh, tuning and stuff like that. So, but a lot of the bands that come in for the first time, they don't want to spend an hour two hours tuning the drums and then stop after three songs put in new uh, yeah. drum heads and spending time again because that that take that's a time, time and money, money right yeah, exactly yeah. so i mean yeah. as far as like a like a non-drummer like me and i mean it's probably people watching that are non-drummers um what does tuning the drums mean are you tuning to a note are you tuning yeah. to a scale are you tuning to yeah so yes so yes yes and yes so but but that's in my case right i can say what i prefer because i there's you know some people don't tune to specific notes if the tom sounds good then they 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 leave it as is um when i played at a at a drum uh, festival at one point it was in 2007 there was a guy uh, in montreal that was the guy that tuned drums at drum festivals and that and he tuned it and um you know a while after that drum festival, I got back in touch with him and started asking him a lot of questions. And what he had said is he likes tuning the drums to a major chord. And that was like, okay, that's interesting. And I'd heard of, you know, other drum tuners in the past um, kind of doing the same thing, but maybe without really realizing it, but they were. There's a, a I don't know what that song is, but, uh, you know, like a, at the horse races, I think it's the horse races that, dun, 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 you know, that, that, that yep, thing. So yep, they would definitely. tune the toms that way, right? So when uh, Julie tunes the uh, tunes the the toms, so she tunes to a specific note. So if I hit two toms at the same time, there there's basically, you know, everything's in a major chord. So even if I'm doing a tom roll going down, I think it's like, 
D G B. I can't remember off the top of my head. Actually, I have it on my phone. I should check. But ev everything's on a major chord for the uh, the toms, and then the snare is a note that does not um, conflict with uh, uh, you know harmonically with the frequencies Jesus. with the toms. Because what happens is, if you, if you ever heard someone hit a tom and the chains under the snare go like mm -hmm. that well that's because there's frequencies in common right with the harmonics so Jeez, sometimes man, the sweet so spot <laughs> is about finding the right combination for what you like that's why tuning is actually very complex you need to have notes that you like but that don't conflict with each other and that's the big problem and at one point when we were learning that entire process i was asking questions to different drummers and one of the guys said oh yeah if you get a lot of rattle just stick a sock between the chains and the skin and put a lot of duct tape. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> the snare would sound like crap, you know, but it, there's science behind it, you know, and it's. Uh, so I'm trying to just wrap my dumb, dumb brain around this right now. And I'm thinking like, okay, so the bass drum would be like the low string. Am I? Am yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm trying to think of it as like, those would be the strings. You tune the strings like in a certain chord that you're talking about mm -hmm. like like a g chord you could tune a drum yep anthony <laughs> drunk alert you could <laughs> you could tune uh your all your drums into like a a, a chord that could be played on guitar you're saying and well, if it was it, all played at the same time it would well, be a yeah the thing that's a little bit tricky with drums is the harmonics are not integer multiples of the fundamental right so it's like you know when you're on a, a guitar any string instrument for for example if you play the fundamental string if you have your your guitar your bass and you you don't put your your fingers on the neck you just have it you know just open for the the fundamental you you know pluck the string and you get the fundamental frequency right mm -hmm. if you do if you want to get the first harmonic then that's twice the frequency. If you get the next harmonics, that's three times, then four times, then five times. So it's always like an integer multiple of the fundamental. With drums, that's not the case. And that's what's tricky. They are real numbers. So if you have the fundamental frequency, the next har the you know, the first harmonic is could be like 2.195 times the fundamental. And then the next frequency could be like 4.456 or something like that, you know, Jesus. because they're, they're circular membranes and the science behind that is completely different. So when you have a string, you know, the trigonometry that, you know, we all learned in high school and go, when are we ever going to use that? I failed algebra. <laughs> I see you here. Yeah. So he said we all took, I didn't take any trigonometry, dude. Yeah. I know so Yannick's like, like, you know yeah. that astrophysics we took? Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> you know he has a PhD in physics, right? I know, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to lead into that, but yeah, yeah. Get into that yeah. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should probably mention it at this point. I mean, but let him finish yeah, no. his thought. Yeah, yeah, he's still, yeah, he's still well, it's so it's so genius. Just keep going, please. Yes, keep yeah. going. Well, okay. So the thing is, in in geometry, uh, non geometry, and trigonometry. So you know, for those that remember the the sine wave, so you basically have a, a you know a wave like this. Mm -hmm. So when you consider a sine wave that kind of goes like this, that's basically the equivalent of you know the string on a guitar, right? So you have one end of it and the yep. other end of it, and when you pluck it and you don't have your finger on it, right? Totally. So mm -hmm. and that that's what it is on a string instrument. So you get the uh, you know the harmonic. Well, basically, instead of having this, you end up having the full sine wave, which is this. And then when you get the third harmonic, on and on, right? So it's either twice the fundamental, three times, four times, five times, you know, something like that. But with drums, it's based off of their actually called Bessel functions. 
B-E-S-S-E-L. And because they are circular membranes, what happens is you have the fundamental, like say this is the drum skin right here. The fundamental is where you have the center of the skin that moves in and out. Mm -hmm. But then the harmonics, for example, they're in two dimensions. You can get two different types of, of, uh, of modes. So you can have this side go down while this side goes up and it goes like that. Wow. That's a harmonic, right? Jeez. Or you can have it in terms of the radius. So you can have the center going in and out and you have a donut around it going in yeah, the opposite rippling. direction. Now that's a harmonic also, right? So one's a function of radius. The other one is, is a oh function of God. angle and it gets very complex with drums. And that's, that's where you get harmonics that are not integer multiples. And that's when you, it's, it's uh, tricky to, to tune without having too much um, interference or, uh, you know, from one going on to the other. And, and you hit, you hit one part of the drum or you hit one drum and you have another one vibrating next to it and it's stuff like that, that can happen because of those harmonics. Oh yeah. my God. I make, actually, you explained it very well. Cause that's like. I mean, like, sure. I understand, like, I know, Jesus, that's insane. No, like, this is exactly is like, what I was expecting this to happen. To this is like a silly once I wish, we could, like, I wish we could pause this whole live thing and I could just sit there and just think about it for, like, nine minutes yeah. and just, like, stare at so, the wall. Casey, oh, what, was that, what was that one well, shit you used to be a show clip me. about that part. That oh, funny. Jesus, man. That's I actually have stuff on my website with that. Oh, uh, I can maybe send the link, Dude, but if you check on yonikgarcia.com, there's stuff. Okay, I'll put a band I fucked up and didn't ask him to plug this shit in the beginning. Too. We'll, we'll plug it at the end. I'm, no, I'm gonna put a banner up there, dude. <laughs> I yeah. think it's like Tech Talk or something. I on my website. I can uh, check if it's still Casey. There, what was that? Been a while. What was that video we used to trip out on the with the sound waves and the sand and all that shit? What it was, was it cinematics. Called? Yeah. Do you know about that? I'm sure you do. The um, like how how like they put these sounds on and it like the salties and it like makes these like geometric patterns like of the sound waves like instantly like the, the yeah. sand becomes like 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 fractals and stuff yeah so talking about that if you go to ex exactly that if you go to uh my website and under media if you click on tech talk there's actually vibrational modes of circular membranes and gifs Sick. that are animated that you can see them and there's a few uh articles that are there that you can click on um so yeah, that that's there's some information Dude. there that's really cool and visuals with all the you know like I was saying that stuff like this and all these things and all I mean there's just there that are animated to to see them so it's actually really cool. God, man, amazing, dude. That's um, probably the most mind blowing episode I've ever had with that. Yeah. Shit. I, I like hanging out with people that are smarter than me. It makes me <laughs> feel like stuck. Well, yeah, I, I, I try to think of myself as somewhat of a sponge. I don't know how much of that I'm going to actually take with me, but I, I now I have it recorded in a podcast, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, my I friend mean, Brian, he got his degree go. in physics at UCSD like a few years back, and he's super smart guy. He's like, did he like makes video games and he's like, you know, does coding and develops stuff and everything. And he's just super smart, but man, like you're next level, bro. Like you're like, yeah. it's like, well, especially I mean, relating to drums that it's like, I've never heard anything like explained that way. Like, like that's so fucking fascinating. So kind of like walking into what Casey was talking about earlier. Like, so the, the legend that of all of us, like watching Quo Vadis, the DVD and stuff like that, that was always like, cause mm -hmm. we were always watching you and, Watching the whole band just like be amazing, and we were just like, "Oh my god, this is fucking." We would just watch it like almost daily. We were like obsessed with it, and then the the story was that was 
it basically came up with that it's like oh he left because he's like a physicist or something and and had to quit he had to quit the band because he's so you know fucking smart that he had to like go pursue his career because he's like a genius or something and like that's what he had to do so can you elaborate on like that whole story i know we probably skipped over some stuff but whatever because this is what has been on my mind the whole time since we started this whole thing (laughs) so like it's like it's like so elaborate on that because like yeah just i want to know like the story of i mean quo vadis and you doing the you know, being obviously a genius, like I'm gonna go have to read your articles now, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so no, that that wasn't because of that that I left uh, the band. So it had nothing to do with uh, with um, uh, with working as a physicist. Uh, actually, what's interesting is when I was recording drums for Define Imagination um, during the week that we had booked at Pierre's uh, studio that you know both. Steve and I have been talking a lot about during our, our podcast with you guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre, it's just because he's recorded a lot of really, really awesome bands in, um, in, in Quebec. And, you know, pretty much everyone knows him in the metal scene and stuff like that. So, you know, for the people that are our age, I mean, we've all worked with him and he's, he's really cool. So, uh, but anyways, we're at his studio. And during that week of me recording drums in between breaks, I'm on the phone with HR because I just I was just finishing my PhD then, right? So I'm on the phone during my breaks with HR because we're talking about job opportunities for where I live right now, which is in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, I I was tracking drums in September 2002, and in December 2002, I actually moved from Montreal to uh, Knoxville in Tennessee for my work. And we've always made that work actually very well. Um, Bart was a, a, he's a bright guy, you know, and he was working in a company also. He wasn't doing guitar full time. Uh, you know, none of us were doing Coladas full time. And uh, for him, he was in IT. So working on his laptop and working with servers and working with people at a distance, that's for him, that was just what he did. And for me, I moved to Knoxville. And we worked extremely well together. I mean, it was actually really cool. Um, I had my server because of my drum uh, website and we had other servers and, and stuff like that. And I would work on stuff, you know, in Knoxville and send him stuff. Then he would go and do some pre-production record. And we always worked really well together. And a lot of the work with musicians, at least from how I've seen it work, you know, over the years is when you click with someone, and it's working out well, both musically and um, I don't mean uh, business wise, but, you know, in terms of communication and making the band work, you know, it's like, uh, do, is, is, is the communication reliable? Is the relationship reliable? If the relationship is reliable and the musicians click musically, working at a distance really is not a problem, you mm-hmm. know? The band I play in right now that I've been playing with for 10 years, gone in April, the original first guitarist in that band was in Germany, and Julie and I were in Knoxville, Tennessee. When he left the band, um, I called Mark, the guitarist who played in Quovatis. That's how, you know, I, I got to know Mark, right, was because of Quovatis. So I called up Mark and I said, hey, you, you know, we talked about the project, and he joined Gone in April. Um, so we had that background, you know, with Colvatus, and when it came came to the second album, also for for Gone in April, 
I told, you know, Julie, I'd really like to get Steve, you know, on, on this album and to have his ideas, his way of composing music, his way of composing bass. To me, I, I just really love the way his, whatever happens between his brain and his fingers, it's not only the way he plays it and, the, and that he plays so well, it's what he chooses to play to the music. To me, that is also mind blowing. It's not only his skill level on the instrument, it is what he writes to the music he's playing bass to. It's exactly. those two things. And of course, we've gotten to know him super well over the years. And and just like Mark and, and Steve and, and Julie and I, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're uh, tight and good friends in that. So, of course, that adds a lot to it. But all that to say is that Steve's in California. Julie and I are in Tennessee. Mark is in Quebec City. And Aaron, uh, our uh, other vocalist, he does the, the the growls, the death vocals. He's in about 20 minutes from Knoxville also, right? But the musicians are completely spread out. So the way we see it is once you have a reliable relationship with those people and it works out well and you click musically, I don't care if you're in freaking 12-hour drive away, mm-hmm. I would much rather work with someone that I can trust and rely on. And also that musically, when I listen to what they are doing, it makes me happy. Yeah. I rather work with someone who was far away. You just, you know, you just explained odious mortem to me, dude. That's exactly how we are. (laughs) Casey's down in San Diego. Uh, Joel's closer to me. He's in Santa Cruz. I'm in Pacifica. I'm like an hour away from where Steve is actually. (laughs) And, uh, but we worked together for so long that it doesn't matter where we're at we're gonna mm-hmm. continue to create and we just know yeah. how everybody works and, yeah. and we we still want to continue making art together so yeah. this is how we do it yeah. now yeah you know it's funny because you you just made me think of something at one point with uh, gone in april we had um uh, without naming any names here or anything so we were working with a, a, a musician that um ended up um, you know, who, who lived in Montreal, right? And we needed to, um, uh, you know, he was doing the, the live concerts with us and, and stuff like that, right? And, and he lived in Montreal. And at one point, he was not able to um, join, you know, some of the, uh, the, the shows that we were doing. And but when he was able to join, it, it was always a little bit tricky to kind of make things work with them and that you know in terms of like either uh you know just the simple stuff you know what's like uh showing up on time or getting a ride or getting dropped out like like all the kind of like stuff that could be easy maybe wasn't as as easy as what mm-hmm. it could have been and uh at one point um what we ended up doing is i spoke to a musician who lived in europe oh, gosh what country was he from um, I'm drawing a blank right here. I can't believe, um, was it Bulgaria? No, it wasn't Bulgaria. Crap. I'm drawing a blank now for some reason. I can't remember. Anyways, he made my life easier coming from Europe to come do the shows with us than it was to work with the musician we were working with in Montreal wow. in our own city. Right. He got his, his visas to come booked his flights showed up with his luggage, everything was ready, everything was good, and he's coming overseas, and everything was easy. So that's just another example that, you know, sometimes you just work with people that make your life easy, and you got to be really happy and keep those relationships close. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Speaking of which, uh, Steve, 
Steve DiGiorgio, and he was on, said a lot of really nice things about you mm-hmm. and about how you were super awesome and easy to work with in back in the Cool Vaddies days and even moving forward with, you know, your, your projects now and stuff. And, uh, you know, super well, yeah, cool. it's it, the story of how he, yeah, he was just super under the weather and, and, oh, and yeah, he was into really, it kind of quick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because, man, I will, I will remember that for the rest of my life. So I so, of course, I'm living in Knoxville. Right. And Bart and Steve are working on the, the base for that entire week. Right. Before we went to Piazza to record bass. And at that time. Um, so to get Steve on that album, that was Bart's idea. He said at one point, I'd really like to get Steve on this album. What he did on bass on individual thought patterns was so amazing. And to me, I. I wasn't a fan of bass at that time. I hadn't really heard anything that made me go like, oh, wow, like this is, you know, like at the time, of course, you know, like I, I was, it's just a bass is not an instrument that stuck out, that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, that stood out to me. And uh, our bassist in Colvatus at the time before, uh, you know, Steve, really good guy. We were all super good friends, super tight. Um, and, you know, uh, he he was doing his job musically on bass but it wasn't what steve was doing and steve is really special for 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 bass you know i mean totally and to me i guess i i never really just bass never stood out and so you know bart said yeah uh, i'm emailing with steve and uh um you know we're talking and whatever and i'm like okay i mean fine that's, I don't care, you know, whatever it was no biggie or anything. And, um, then, so they're working at Bart's, you know, on the, the songs and stuff like that. And then it was planned to have, I think it was three days at the studio, Pierre studio, uh, up North. That was like two hours from Montreal. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll go for that weekend because for me, remember I, I moved to Knoxville in 2002 and this was going on in the summer of 2003, but I kept taking flights back to Montreal every three, four weeks for weekends, because we had like Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night at concert. So every three, four weeks, I take a flight back. Was, you know, it, was it direct? No, oh. that wasn't direct. No, no. I, I had to fly out of Atlanta or Nashville, then go to Toronto and Toronto to Montreal. Mm. So, you know, it gets back to what I was saying before is when you have people with a reliable, uh, you know, working relationship, and musically it works they could be freaking far but if it works it works you know mm-hmm. and for me i i did not miss one concert we had flights and stuff like that and always made it back so then that time when steve was in the studio um i was like yeah i'll go that weekend so i took a flight and i showed up and i remember when i got to piles it was in uh you, you know you walked in through the the basement and there was a like a kitchen area and stuff like that in there and Steve was there and because, you know, I didn't know Steve as, or, you know, appreciate his bass playing at the time uh, as much. So I didn't know him and I looked at him and, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that must be Steve unless it's Steve some. Steve DiGiorgio for the listeners. The yes, 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 sorry. Yeah, he's not, he's not any normal Steve. He's the, the yeah, main yeah, yeah. bass player for yeah. death. <laughs> um, and so I introduced myself and, uh, you know, it was super nice and we're talking stuff like that. And, uh, you know, uh, so we're there talking and it's like, oh, you want to hear some of the stuff? And uh, we're about to continue. So we go upstairs and we start tracking, you know, talk to Bart, talk to Pia, talk to the others and stuff like that. And uh, 
Steve starts playing bass. And I thought, what the hell is this? And then, you know, mind blown, changed my life forever on how I see the instrument. And it was like, this you can do this on a bass. It's just I it, the the instrument never stood out to me before, and of course I was younger then also, so I wasn't a paying attention to every single production detail and and instrument as much as I do now uh, as a sound engineer and of course just being a musician after all those years, but the bass just you know this was like eye opener like crazy like oh my gosh I never knew bass could add so much musically to a song. I mean, it was absolutely crazy, and I have shivers thinking about it just now. Dude, and, it, it has grown to be one dude, of my favorite parts of music. Yes, dude, is listening yeah. to the bass. I, I just love this amazing. conversation, dude. It just keeps getting better. <laughs> God damn, another cool fucking dude. Just keep going. I love it, dude. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he so he's sitting down. He had his green ESP fretless five string jeans with a Harley Davidson T-shirt, bare feet, <laughs> playing bass. And I'm just kind of there looking and listening, going like, I didn't even know bass, a bass could do that, you know, a again, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. So I'm listening to that and I'm completely freaking out because I'm like, the song is so much better now because there's an other instrument that's coming in, complementing everything else that's going on. You know, every instrument has its role. Well, now there's this new instrument that is adding so much more to the song and it's mm -hmm. like oh my gosh this is freaking amazing yeah and it was just so it, it's just so weird because to me again that completely changed my life of how i listen to metal bands nowadays the way i see the instruments in the studio here at wave transform i love recording bass you know and when basses come in i'm like all right, so then we start working on tone and stuff like that. And every instrument's important, and you've got to get tone on every instrument. But I think that in some cases, from what I've heard from a lot of musicians, sometimes bass doesn't kind of gets a little bit of a backseat sometimes on, on some productions. And to me, bass is super important, and I have a lot of fun with it, and it, it's really cool. And all of that is really due to Steve and and it's just when I heard him play that time and then he goes, Oh, you want to hear what I did on the other song? I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, and to me, I'm kind of like, you know, they're in the studio and freaking out. And this is like, our songs sound so much better. I mean, I was happy with the songs the way they were before, but now it's like, Oh my gosh, this is like, <laughs> this is, I mean, it just brought a completely different element to it, which was really, really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, my life has been changed since. And that's why, I mean, uh, you know, very corny to say, but it, but it's absolutely true. No, that's you know? not. So, I, I love that because it's like, I, we all know what it's like to listen to songs that we've made over and over and over again. And they can turn, you know, kind of get a little stagnant at times. And then all you, or like, for example, it's me, like hearing it from the pro but guitar pro version the eight bit sounding <laughs> guitars and all that. And then finally hearing these guys really record it. And then you're like, Oh yeah, dude, now it's, it's a fucking real song. And then the bass comes and you're like, Oh dude, I didn't even know this was going to be different right here. It's like, it's, but with Steve coming in and adding his elements to it where none of you guys knew it, he 
really was going to do in certain parts, right? Or no, no, but well, I think Bart may have had some idea because I think uh, so. I wasn't there during the week that you know that one week that they were at Bart's working on the stuff, so I don't know if it was mostly Steve learning the material or if he was playing it for Bart and then discussing stuff like that. That I I don't really know there. But I know there was still some composition that was happening in the studio mm-hmm. uh, there. And uh, I mean, I remember when I got the. I mean, it was just so crazy that, you know, at one point he, he started doing something and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. But it, because I was reacting so strongly to it, I think what happened is that was kind of building him up. And he was like, oh, yeah, all right, let's go. All right, let's do it. And it was kind of <laughs> like everyone was kind of like pumping each other up, you know, so yeah, it was, dude. Yeah, it, it was really, uh, it was, it was really Well, cool. I was going to say just uh, <laughs> even this little like story post to put on like that song uh, In Contempt, that like intro from, you know, from uh, Defiant Imagination. And uh, I was just like, oh, the drums and the, everything is so sick and it like starts and it's all fucking badass. But then like the bass is like all sick. I'm like, God damn it, dude. And he had Even such a good bass. It's just you had basically yeah. the uh, the uh, Montreal Steve DiGiorgio fill in for that video, right? It was Forrest, right? Wasn't it Forrest? Yeah, Forrest. Yeah. yeah. So oh, because, yeah. of course, Steve is busy with with uh, you know uh, touring bands and that. So uh, actually, Forrest hadn't played fretless bass till he started playing uh, for for Colvatus. Oh, so yeah. you know he got his his first fretless bass and started learning the parts because he was known as like a very a, you know, amazing bassist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time it was fretted, right? And fretless bass wasn't as big as it is today. Now there's a lot of bassists that play fretless bass and metal. And and Steve has definitely, you know, been, you know, the kind of lead guy that has helped kind of make that way, you know. Yeah, it's like Steve the... and Sean Malone and yeah. Yeah, 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 yep. absolutely. Yeah, Sean Malone also very, uh, uh, very much so. Um, and, uh, but I think it's those guys that have really kind of, uh, you know, for and and when you look at Forrest, what he's been able to do with his career, uh, you know, with fretless bass is amazing. And he's kind of, you know, created more. And, you know, so when you're looking at Steve and Sean and, and some others that I can't think of right now that, uh, you know, uh, with fretless bass to have, uh, you know, gone on to the forests, uh, you know, and on and on. And there's just more and more fretless bass now. And I think bass is not getting as much of a backseat as it used to be. And we have amazing bassists to thank for that, you know, because the ones that are making that happen are the ones that write just amazing bass lines and play really well. And people are like, damn, that's cool. Let's turn up the bass and, and really get it more present in the mix. And, you know, I, I think Steve's expression is uh what is it you you gotta i forget how he says something like work for those decibels or anyways it's something along like you know play good stuff and play it well and and it'll you know go a little bit forward and people will want to put it more forward in the mix and, you know yeah so, i've known yeah. like a lot of uh a lot of engineers and stuff like i mean people working with different engineers and stuff like that i've known a lot of bass players that are fighting for that volume they're like the, the volume's turned down you know it's like really mm-hmm. low and they have to make their case for it basically you know it's like basically they have to make their their case to be you know to be present more because um mm-hmm. the the automatic um what you know the, the autopilot of a fucking metal engineer will be like yeah we'll make it so it's like it's a frequency that comes in it's good it helps the the, the overall Digital mix and then like, 
Yeah, exactly. And then you have like people like you know DiGiorgio, and then you have like Forrest. You know, you think about that Augury album, or mul multiple Augury albums, where he's just coming in and he's the guy. He's like all of a sudden like they're playing off him. He's like like on um I forget the the second Augury album, but we toured with him on it. But it was like literally that the uh, Simeon Cattle yeah. song. I remember that the song was just like. It's it's all bam dun 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 bam 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 dun 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 and like that was the the groove of the song was the bass like before you yeah. know it's like he basically took over um you know the 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 spotlight you know he was mm -hmm. he's now the the person that everyone is looking at in in the band and stuff like that and it was it was definitely like those actually those two guys it's like main people I can think of right now as well but um that literally took the I don't want to say spotlight, but just really put bass as not just a frequency, yes. but like a yeah. fucking, a spotlight or like something yeah. that I said spotlight again, but like um, <laughs> something that could, <laughs> something that they could actually like someone could grab on that doesn't even know about bass. You know what I mean? Like they can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part of the part of the the melody and the rhythm, the whole yeah. thing is the bass. Yeah. I think another, something. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say another guy that uh, that. Uh, has his unique voice that stood out was Roger Patterson in, in, in Atheist. Like oh, that dude yeah, yeah. definitely was just as much out there in front as everybody else. What's the other dude. Atheist guy name? Who? Oh, Tony Choi. Tony Choi. Yeah, 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 he was on uh, uh, Elements, right? Was it Elements? Totally. That that was like the early kind of renaissance of bass was like cynic but yeah dude so and, like listening yeah, to those like bonus tracks from those relapse reissues and you get to hear the drum and bass tracks in those recordings same thing with the um once uh relapse acquired all the death catalog like you all those reissues have tons of rehearsal footage or uh rehearsal mm -hmm. rehearsal audio and drum and bass audio and you're just mm -hmm. like Oh, dude, totally. you get to just sit here and listen to Sean and and fucking Steve. Just that's it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it, I'm, I'm I I get giddy about that because you get to really really focus on it with nothing yeah. else, no other yeah. distractions. You it's know? funny yeah. we're talking about like how Yannick was talking about ride the lightning first, which is like the most. There's no <laughs> bass. It's like literally yeah. that 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 was the one right with no bass. No, not ride right? the lightning. You're talking about the Corvette oh, I'm, uh, just for all, just for all. I don't know. There's been plenty of stuff that we've been talking about that's been missing bass, like <laughs> Steve and Human too. We didn't mention that he got, you know, lost yeah. in the mix there. Yeah, it's tricky because I think the other challenges is guitar amps have gotten the tone has changed right over the the past decades. I mean, guitar amps are getting richer in frequency. There's more and more. Um, uh, you know, a, a greater part of the the, the audible uh, spectrum that they're they're taking up. You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, in the maybe the 70s or something, they took less space, you know, and the bass really stood out. And uh, I know several, several years ago, um, I've never really kind of listened to Ozzy Osbourne uh, stuff or whatever, but I put on uh, just because I told myself, hey, I, sh I should really know this. I should really listen to it. And I listened to, is it Blizzard of Oz? That's the first uh, Aussie um, yes. album. Yeah. And I listened Blizzard. to this and I remember I texted Steve and I was like, the bass, like mm -hmm. you can hear the bass on these albums. And it's just mm -hmm. because I think with time, it's just guitar amps have gotten worked and worked and worked. And they've gotten that they take up so much space nowadays mm -hmm. that th that space gets used. And then there's like a small amount left for, for bass. And you know, in, in some cases, 
some people prefer to work with the the guitar tone and you know not maybe have the bass as needed as it used to be so it kind of ends up frequency wise sometimes taking a you know a small back seat which is unfortunate because when you have a good basis oh my gosh geez what that does yeah. to the music you know so who's the guy that was on the spastic ink albums to bring it back to bobby jarzen back uh Actually, steve perez or something something like that i oh, fuck i forget his name I'm he's like sure. a brain, that brain says steve perez but i don't know if that's right that dude was on those albums. Oh, he insane. Rip you ever, you player, ever listen to those, uh, Yannick, those old uh, Spastic Ink albums? Yeah, I have. Is it Rosco. Incompatible? Was it that one? Incomplete the, uh, was the first one. Incomplete. Okay. I'll have to look it up. The, the one Incom with... Um, Without vocals or with vocals? No, the one with vocals. Uh, what's That's that one? Incompatible. That's incompatible. Yeah, incompatible. Okay, so yeah, that one. Yeah, I got with that one when Jason told me you got to listen to this drummer, oh, and I and I thought, oh man, I got to buy this. And so yeah, no, yeah, there's some really good musicianship. Yeah, it's like oh, it's it's so yeah. insane. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. It's scary, mind bending, definitely. So well, I mean, Pete you haven't really Perez. gone into too Pete, much into your uh, Pete becoming Perez, bro. Pete, Pete Perez, Perez. You, Pete you Perez. But going into the, you know, your, you know, physicist stuff or, you know, like. Um, oh, yeah. Stuff, I wanted to dude. ask how that, like, relates to your recording <laughs> shit, too. Like, how, how do you apply, like, some of that? Dude, he did like, he insane. did the full harmonic. with. I know. The... I want to hear more of that. I want more. <laughs> I want way more of that shit. Like, how? Because you, you got to have perspective, like, beyond. Like, actually, this is actually real people. quick. This is a good. This is a good question, too, for Yannick, who's actually. Is there any books that you would recommend for aspiring drummers for or audio engineers that have inspired you? I mean, obviously you're a physicist, so you have like you have the brain. So, is there any books that have blown your mind? Um, for aspiring drummers, a book. Um, I can talk about a book that has kind of helped me a lot, but it's I don't know if you would really call that for aspiring drummers. I guess it could be. It's it it's actually a book of rudiments. Um, when I was going to play at the, the drum festival in 2007, I thought like, you know, um, man, I, 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 I mean, I really have to get better with the rudiments and all that, you know, and, and I kind of work with, with that book. And, and I remember also the first time that I called Bobby at Jerzombek when I wanted sessions with him, I kind of was getting more familiar with this stuff. And I said, I want to learn stick technique from you, you know, because I mean, He's uh, how do you pronounce that in English? Ambidextrous? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So remember, my first language is French uh, from Canada. So what? You know, I'm still searching for my words sometimes in dude, English. It's not even noticeable, dude. Okay. You're, you're great at English. <laughs> I know you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought like I he goes, well, what do you want to learn from me? And I I told him I want to learn stick technique, and he listened to what I had done with Colvatus, and he said what do you want to learn from me? And we started talking and I said, look, man, I, I got plenty to learn from you. Like there is so much I can learn from you. And I remember what ended up happening is when I got to his rehearsal space, he goes, okay, I, I want to see, you know, where you are with your stick technique, because you say you want to learn stick technique from me. So let me see where you are with your right hand. And of course he takes his drumstick and he goes, you know, with, with one hand, right? And of course, for me, I take my right hand and I can go not as fast as him, maybe three quarters of the way with my right hand. And I'm going, he goes, okay, so let me see my left hand, uh, your left hand. And I went on the left hand and it, it wasn't very good, right? And he just kind of looked at me and said, I don't understand how you can play the stuff you're playing in Quovatis and your stick technique being what it is. 
I don't understand what I'm seeing your hands do right now. And what I hear, what you, what you do in recordings, I, I can't put two and two together. And, um, well, maybe not as extreme as that, but pretty close to that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so basically, you know, he was starting to show me exercises that he was doing. And I thought like, oh my gosh, man, he is phenomenal on top of being such a super nice guy and very humble and really amazing. Right. So it's just kind of like, man, he is just absolutely crazy. And I left there going like, man, I absolutely suck. I mean, it is awful. But anyways, getting back to that book thing, it's the book of rudiments. So to me, what has helped me a lot is when I do my warmups before playing drums, I take my sticks and I got my feet on the bass drum pedals and I go through rudiments with my hands and I'll do a rudiment with my hands and then I'll stop and I'll do it with my feet. Then I'll go to the next rudiment with my hands I'll stop and then I do the same rudiment with my feet and I just go through, I have like my, uh, my list of like rudiments that I go through and I'll do that for about 25 minutes. And I will say that doing that has completely changed uh, my drumming. And I will say I am far from being amazing with rudiments. Really, honestly, I am very far from being <laughs> anywhere. Being amazing. Like I, I am really not that good with rudiments. But I will say when I started doing that, the Quovatis concerts changed dramatically because what was happening is, again, right, we get back to what we were talking about before. You're at freaking minus 20 Celsius outside, which was how much is mm -hmm. that uh, in Fahrenheit again? Like five, 14. minus 13. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah. It was 13 so, around that, yeah. You know, you're outside and you're running around. And of course, Bart and I are managing the band and doing stuff like that also and, you know, taking care of everything and everyone and, and stuff like that. And before, until that point, I'd get on stage and I wasn't really warming up. I was a young drummer, wanted to, you know, playing and we had merch to do. We had, you know, checking with the stage manager. Like there was all these things that needed to be done. And it's like, all right, I got to go change, put my shorts on because we're going on in like 15 minutes. And that was it. And at one point when I started doing those rudiments, what was happening is instead of the concert starting out at this tempo and warming up with the first, second, third song and fourth song. And then by the time that we were 40, 45 minutes in the, you know, the, the, the concert playing at this tempo, now what was happening is I would warm up with those rudiments that I knew following what was in that, in that rudiments book. And I do with my hands then with my feet, my hands, my feet, move on to the next rudiment and do that and continue doing that. And we start the Quovatis concerts and it was at the album tempos when you need to be fully warmed up to play. And we were playing at those tempos years after we started playing the click tracks. So I didn't have the choice, right? Because the click track is at album tempo when you have to be warmed up. But that book of rudiments really gets you to get better with the, uh, your, with your feet and with your hands. And for me, it's made a big difference, you know, because once you start doing paradiddles with, uh, with your feet and, and doubles and stuff like that, you get on the first song and you're, blaring i mean it's a humongous difference when you warm up with those uh with those rudiments so i would recommend there's um a book uh i forget what it's called um actually i think i might have that on my website uh but it's it's a paperback uh book i think it's like 10 bucks or something like that and there's a whole bunch of rudiments in there and if you just go through a few of them and kind of figure out the ones that you like that are that work out best for you and do that i think that book is phenomenal so nice. long
anyways, there's a little bit of uh, history and story with that as well to at least explain the impact that has had on my drumming. So <laughs> that's nice. killer because it's like, dude, if anybody was like, what do you do for your technique? What kind of books do you have for vocal technique? And I'd be like, I, I have no idea, dude. But you have a book. When somebody asks you the question, you're like, oh, dude, yeah, check this one out. And I'm like, I need to get into something that I can like pass on to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, and there's like for so, guitar, there's the uh, the John Petrucci Rock Discipline. That's like, mm -hmm. so if, you, if like people like bring up like what was the thing or what was the video or something that you were like, it was like it's always John Petrucci Rock Discipline. That's like the, it's like I, what Scott Carstairs was watching his uh, a stream the other day and he was just straight just doing rock discipline warm-ups you know just it's basically like petrucci was kind of like you in a lot of ways uh, actually you probably you should probably write a book like i feel like you okay. have such okay. th <laughs> things on lock like as far as like understanding like you know what you need to do and stuff like that and sonic you know like all the different like Dude. sonic uh, properties and stuff like that i feel yeah. like you should probably work on that Case i was just gonna say dude like okay so all this applying physics to sound stuff like I want to hear more, man. Like if we can just get a little more of that, <laughs> like, dude, I'm yeah. so into it. Like it's like gold. I, I've never heard anything like that. Like, so mm -hmm. like if, like if you have any other like thoughts about applying your like yeah. expertise um, in physics to like recording or sound or guitar, yeah. other instruments that like, dude, we are all ears, yeah. man. That's well, there, really, there's really maybe cool. one thing that kind of jumps to, to, to mind that I actually brought up in the, the last clinics that I'd done in, 2018, which were a lot of fun because I mean, to, to me, I prepared my PowerPoint slides and we had, you know, the giant screen and projecting it and, and all these things. And uh, I did go into some kind of like physics stuff and I talked about bass drum pedals. So what happens when, uh, you know, a bass drum pedal, so you have the, the, the pedal and of course you have the feeder that's connected to the, uh, the pedal board and you have the spring, right? And the spring tension actually does a lot um, or can do a lot for, for the drummer. So the way that, um, like, say, for example, if you have a very loose spring, let me ask you this. If you have a very loose spring and you press down on the bass drum pedal, what happens to the beater if you just press down on the pedal and, and you just let it oscillate? What, what do you think would happen if you have a loose spring? It's going to wobble like slower. Exactly. Yeah, it would be so delayed. the angular be frequency delayed. of it is basically going to go like this, right? But yeah. if you have a spring that is extremely tight mm -hmm. and you press down on that pedal, what's going to happen to the angular frequency of the, uh, of the beater? It's going to go faster, right? Mm -hmm. So there's actually, I had some slides describing, I guess, the physics behind the, the spring tension and the angular frequency. And the way that I set my bass drum pedals is I've had drummers try my bass drum pedals and they say they're like Stairmasters. You know, they, they say, <laughs> man, this thing is like, they say, I have no idea how you play with this, this and how your legs are not, you know, and ankles are not hurting. But what happens is mine are so tight. And the other thing too is some drummers have their, I'm just describing what works for me, right? So I'm not yeah, saying yeah. it's the way, but I'm just well, saying of course, what works dude, for no, me, right? Totally yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, if you have the the kind of uh, the 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 board or I guess the plate, you know where you put your foot, the foot plate or whatever you call it, and then you have the 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 rod. Some drummers have their rod and the beater at this angle. Mine is like at that angle about. So what happens is when I press down on the bass drum pedal, 
there is a pretty strong hit on the bass drum. You know, to give good sound pressure level and get a, a good hit on the bass drum to really get that thump, you know? Um, and uh, actually, when I played at the Drum Fest in Montreal, we were talking about um, sound engineering aspects. And I was saying that a, a drummer asked me, do you do double hits on your bass drums when you uh, when you do double bass? And I said, well, no, actually, I don't. They're all singles. And one of the reasons I do that is to get a hard enough hit on the bass drum to get a good sound pressure level out of the bass drum to help the sound engineer get a better tone to make it easier to get a better tone in for the audience. And I was kind of describing those things. It was kind of funny because when I was answering questions, at one point, the sound engineer, who I'd never met, he was in back of the room and he was doing sound. And he just said, the sound engineer loves Yannick. And he just yelled out <laughs> from because I was like trying to get drummers to understand that you need to help your sound engineer make you sound better. It's mm -hmm. not like, no, mm -hmm. I'm playing my instrument and screw you. Uh, you know, I'm not doing anything to help you. It's if you don't help your sound engineer, you will not sound as best as you can. And yeah. it's really, it's, it's really a handshake, you know, both need to work together and uh, anyway, so all that to say is that I, you know, I do singles to make sure I get a good hit on the on the bass drum. And uh, so getting back to the foot plate thing. So when I press down on my bass drum uh, pedal, the beater, because it's at a pretty high angle, when it hits the bass drum and it comes back, the spring is so tight that it really wings that rod back very fast and very strongly. So what ends up happening is it over, I don't know what you call that, over rotates because mm -hmm. it comes back so fast instead of finishing there because the spring is on so tight, it pulls it back so far, but then the spring starts helping it push back the other way. So if I were to press down on my bass drum pedal, it would go it would hit and then it would go like this, right? Because it's so tight. So when I press down on it, it hits the bass drum skin and then it comes back down. But on its way down, it starts making its way up again because the, it over, you know, it, it, it did an overthrow. It basically went too far and the spring is so tight. It's helping it come back a bit. And then I can press again. And yeah, continue so that motion. It on so, it. so you're saying your bass drum goes, <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, yeah, the bass drum does, but the the bass drum pedal, pedal on its recoil back up after it kind of you know flew back and overcompensated, and on its way back, then I press again and it hits. So it's it like comes the back. It's the first time yeah. you kick it is what starts the domino effect. Yes, exactly. And then you you just it's all like timing and well, feel after that cuz So let yeah. me guess, let me guess. So it's harder to get it going but it's consistent once you do. It's like in the sound really like even, you know, because you got that like that like a uh, like like it's like a bounce, right? Yeah, well, yes and no. So the other aspect that when you take physics involved in that mm -hmm. is the angular frequency when it comes back if it if it's not optimal for the bpm that you're playing it starts having some sort of like um not interference but like destructive interference i guess in a way that the bass drum pedal starts going against you and it's harder to keep at the tempo where you're going because if i have my pedals my bass drum pedal super tight and i try to play at a tempo that is much slower it's actually harder for me to keep double bass drum going because when that bass drum pedal comes back oh yeah 
it it does the like that at a different frequency that it's, is yeah. really conflicting with right. the high you know that with the bpms so it's kind of like you have to set I, mm -hmm. I should I should not use those words because like I said, I'm not saying that this is what to do. This is just what works for me. But for me, I set the spring tension for what works well for a lot of the kind of BPMs and double bass yeah. drumming that we're doing in oh, the bands that we're playing. No, yeah. for sure. We, we, we've talked about that with Derek Roddy and also like Mike Hamilton and stuff like like Derek Roddy was talking about that with uh like his old axis pedals like 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 he has some of them set like you know a certain way and then he has like the other one set a certain way like they have like the different adjustments that like he feels he can play more like slower tempos like slower tempos more comfortable and like well, more there like you know, go. the standard yeah. yeah exactly yeah so that's the whole thing is it's like if if so if, if something is specialized in one area it might be like harder to use yeah. in another area kind of thing yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so yeah, absolutely. So, so, that, so you were asking about another physics thing that can get applied to, yeah. to drumming. That's an example yeah. right there, right? You're looking at spring tension and yeah. uh, you know the angular frequencies and that for the spring tension and uh, and the BPMs of the music. So, yeah, nice, super yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, this is like <laughs> Neil, Neil deGrasse Bursier, dude. Fucking... Yeah, I know. <laughs> These are me the metal community's Neil deGrasse Tyson, dude. Awesome. what's like the what's like the craziest because like you know like all of us are big like nerds about like i don't know just like e even though i'm not like a physicist i i, I you know i have like a degree you're in not music, you're like, not I don't know shit. yeah <laughs> i work in like the dental field like i'm not a dentist but you know like i don't know like any like you know anyways so what's like some cool stuff that you'd like to say that they think is fascinating whatever you know just mm. Yeah, what's mind, a, what's a, mind, what, is, what he's trying to say is like in your field what is what's like one thing or the first thing or whatever that blew your mind when you're when you grasped it you know like becoming a physicist like or yeah. even being in in school to get your like, phd like what like, inspired what, you to become a physicist what was one of those yeah. mind explosions we want to yeah. and try and give it to us in dumb dumb terms so i can kind yeah. of yeah, I can I can think of a story and I, I think I'll I'll kind of lead up to that to, to answer the, the question of how I kind of got into the the kind of science field. So it it's kind of funny. And this I like to tell people this story and especially parents who are parents of of kids that are struggling in, in math at school because I struggled in math. I really did. And my father was tutoring me um, you know, in the evenings and you know, grade seven, grade eight, I was like mid sixties in math, something like that. Mm -hmm. Grade nine, I was like low seventies, you know, kind of something like that. And, um, it's not that I, I think I, I was a little, um, kind of spacey, you know, kind of thing, like wasn't really paying attention and really kind of focused in and, and really into it. You know, I wasn't digging into it. And, mm -hmm. um, when we got to grade uh, 10, we had a, a history class and I wasn't as interested in history as, as other topics. So really, honestly, I wasn't really studying. Right. And I didn't do too well. I got a 50% on my first report card. Mm. And then we thought, oh, crap, what are we going to do with that? So I went to the principal of the uh, of the, the, you know, the grade 10 uh, level mm -hmm. and I said, I'd like to have some help with history because I got a 50 on my first report card. Mm -hmm. 
and she said, there's a girl that's a year older than you and she's tutored some, some people. So I will check with her and see what she can do. So it's like, all right. So then got in touch with her and she started tutoring me at, uh, at lunchtime in history, not in sciences, not in math. It was in history. And so she's helping me in history. And at one point I go to her classroom at lunch and she was really depressed, very, uh, uh, you know, upset, not hysterical or anything, but just very, you know, unhappy. And, um, I said, well, what's, what's wrong? She said, I just got my math test back. I said, well, what did you get? I just got like a 94. And I'm thinking like, what? (laughs) You got a 94 and you're not happy about that. And she goes, yeah, but look at my other grades. And it's like 99, 100, 98, 99, 100. And she showed me all the tests. And I thought like, I looked at the, of her tests and the grades that she was getting. And it's just kind of weird because I thought, you can actually get marks like that in, in math. Like I just never dawned on me that someone could actually do that well in mathematics. Yeah. And it, it was just, and it's kind of silly to think about it, but it just didn't click like, yeah, you can actually get almost perfect grades in math. And when I saw those grades, my math and my physics shot up the marks. Wow. She never helped me in math and physics, but when I saw what you could do, it kind of changed and all of my marks went up and that's how I got into math and science up to. So uh, you you saw those and you're like, okay, so it's possible. I see the possibilities and Mm -hmm. now I do want to focus on this and try and achieve those same numbers. Yeah. I mean, you can also see the the links to music though. You can see the links to music with people like, like Mm -hmm. yourself or like a lot of the musicians we know, they think they're terrible. They think they're like, they're like, oh, in, in their, you know, in our heads, they're getting 99s, 98s, and stuff like that. But in in their heads, they're like, oh, I got a 80. They're like, you know, they think mm-hmm. they could always do better. They're, and that's yeah. what kind of maybe there's the link with music and math or you know, like school or something like that, where someone's mm-hmm. scholastically like they're killing it, but they could, in their mind, they know they can do better. But like, uh, and it basically like influences other people to yeah. do better. Yeah. And it totally, when I was saying the thing about algebra earlier, it's totally is attributed to that. I didn't focus. I was a smart kid. I just didn't apply to it. I didn't have a teacher that really made me, you know, want to apply myself in math. So I just, it just never really was Mm -hmm. a thing. And it's funny. And that's why I tell parents sometimes, because I mean, I've, I've taught drums to, uh, you know, drummers at different levels in that, but I have taught, you know, uh, kids in the past that, you know, are in early high school or late high school. And I have discussion with the parents and they said, well, what am I doing? And what do I do with this? And, and they're kind of asking me for my opinion. I tell them that story because for me, I think it was a matter of clicking. It just clicked. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I, I, by looking at her marks, I didn't say, Hey, I really need to buckle down and really start like thinking about my life and my future and I should be doing better in math. I that that didn't happen. That discussion in my head didn't happen. It was just like it was a shock. Yeah. It completely was a you know, a shock and everything clicked and then everything changed onwards and I can't explain it and I don't know what it is, but I think it's important, you know, to to kind of uh, you know, I like to tell that story because sometimes with when parents have kids that aren't doing so well in school, it's like, well, it's possible that it could be a matter of time. They just might not have clicked yet. And I tell them, 
I was mid sixties in math. And, you know, my father was trying to have me understand how to calculate the perimeter of the sidewalk around a pool. And I was just spaced out and not really on it. And then years later, now I have a PhD in physics, you know, so it's just kind of crazy how the brain works and how something can click and completely change your whole life. And it's on your own terms, whether you liked it or not, it was, it happened naturally, Mm -hmm. organically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's really weird. And, uh, and then the, the reason I got into, uh, to, to medical imaging, because that's, that's what I do now, right? We work with the, with the scanners. And um, I was in my third year of engineering physics. And this is kind of a, another kind of funny story, uh, like, the, like the, uh, the one I just finished telling, is that we had a term paper to do at the end of a class. And I don't want to say what class it was, because I don't want to talk bad of a teacher or anything, but it was probably the worst teacher I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And there, we had to write a term paper on something and there was nothing in the list of examples that had to do with the topic of that class that really kind of motivated me. And uh, after class, I went to talk to the teacher and I said, uh, do you have any other examples? And because there's nothing really in this list that, you know, really kind of, you know, gets me on fire. you know. <laughs> and he said, well, you can talk about this or that. And I was like, eh, you know, this. And he said, well, you can talk about magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, what's that? And then he said, well, you put the body in a magnetic field and you get images of the body inside like the body. And that's all it took. I thought I need to freaking learn about this. This sounds crazy. <laughs> and then my love for medical imaging started and I did a master's in medical physics in the field of medical imaging and radiation therapy. And my PhD is in physics, again, in the field uh, area of medical imaging for radiation therapy. And that's it. And I've been working in medical imaging now. It's going to be 20 years now in December. Wow. So wow. again, cool, uh, just a weird story that if I had not had that discussion, something very strange, right? If I had not had my tutor in history, I don't even know what would have happened yeah. to my, you know, it's just kind of, there's the these links. key things sometimes that happen in life that you're mm-hmm. on a trajectory and something happens with someone that you think has absolutely no impact on your life that completely totally. deviates your entire life, you know, direction. Oh, it's and... a physics metaphor, dude. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it really is like it we're is. talking oh, impact yeah. and all this kind mm-hmm. of, it's like, it's, it's, mental physics you could you could trip on a curb and then accidentally hit hit your head on a person's knee and then they come up and like oh sorry and then they're like yeah yeah, or your whole trajectory (laughs) of music and everything changes because Mm -hmm. you tripped on that one curb you know what i mean it's like it's crazy to think about stuff like that i mean it it, i mean here's another example right so with with colvatus right my parents could have said you play in a death metal band and this is like you know, like waste of time and what are you doing? And you shouldn't be doing all those things. Everything that happened with Quo Vadis has had an impact on my life and on and on in having the studio working still in music, still doing tours, still recording albums. And my personal life is impacted too, right? Because I met my wife through Quo Vadis. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So you said that you guys are familiar a little bit with the uh, Quo Vadis DVD, right? That's what you yeah, were saying yeah. earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, oh, one of the, one one of the, the reptilian the chicks in the beginning? No, no. Oh. <laughs> the uh, violinist. 
Ah, oh, the, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, who is actually job, the friend. singer and the uh, string, uh, the violinist for Gone in April right now? Um, so, oh, okay. yeah. That's so, awesome. basically, I'm in the band with the singer and violinist who is my wife. So, when we tour together, we're oh, together nice. and we tour, and it's it's really cool that way you know i mean Perfect we do style. albums together we have a lot of so you know the thing is if Corvatus wouldn't have happened you know i might not be in this relationship right now so so it's just kind of weird sometimes just there's just these different things that you think totally. is really nothing and other people can say that this is a very bad influence on your life you shouldn't be listening to this awful heavy metal and all these different things like that and just that has had an impact on so many things and i think also i mean we don't have kids or, or anything but i think you know sometimes these are stories that i like to to tell to parents that either from kids that i'm teaching or kids that come to the recording studio and there's some issues and you know and uh, you know with um, you know the kids in their lives depending on how how old they are you know i mean because i've recorded bands where people are like you know 10 to 14 years old and stuff like that and when they come in the parents come in with them you know so i'm talking to the parents also and uh you know it's like something that you think is a bad influence that could be completely meaningless for the rest of their lives can have a super positive impact on their lives so it, it's yep. kind of hard to tell sometimes i mean something negative could happen and oh, and man. if you think it's i mean all sorts of things that can happen but you never know what can impact someone's life and putting on another trajectory which can end up being a very positive thing you know? that is that's huge that's i mean i've you know moved to other cities for in like for relationships stuff like that and mm -hmm. uh and and it ended up like in just you know flames or whatever and i thought this is a terrible decision my friends were right i should have never been here and then there's so many other things that spawned from it that were so positive that like i look back on it and like i'm glad i went through like everything yep. that i went through because mm -hmm. i'm like I met all these people, like I, my career changed, like er everything changed because of that one decision mm -hmm. that like you could focus on the negative part of it, but like, that's not like, that's, that's actually positive now. <laughs> it's like now becomes a positive. Like if that didn't ever happen, then I would have never met these people yep. and I would you know what I mean? It's like a, it's, it's totally, like I said, with the, the curb analogy, just like you want one little thing and all of a sudden like your whole life is completely different. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, when, when people are a little bit in the, the dumps or something, you know, and they're not really happy and they're struggling, uh, just that they could be in a situation that they are that close from something happening that is going to change their trajectory. And they have no idea because they're mm -hmm. in the dumps and they're having trouble. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh my gosh, that one moment in time, that one thing that happened just completely changed the direction of everything right and i think that's kind of like the the kind of thing to keep in mind when when uh you know people are struggling that it's like you could be like this far away from something absolutely amazing happening that is going to change your entire life you know Definitely. and that's something that to me gets me kind of like really excited because it's happened to me and you never know of course it could go the other way that things are going great and you freaking hit a wall and stuff starts going yeah, bad yeah. but you don't hope for that right <laughs> you just hope for the best but when things are, are tough you know you just kind of like look forward and, and keep going because you don't know what's going to happen that's i mean that's huge because i have friends that you know are going through you know like tough times like depression stuff like that all mm -hmm. you know things were going yeah, one man. way at one time and then all of a sudden they're not going one way but <clears throat> to, to see the i mean to I've been in that situation too, where I'm like, everything's like, 
absolutely in the negative. There's nothing in the positive. And then I, but I, I stuck it out. Was like, this can't be, you know, this can't be the the rest of my life. This is not going to be. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. one little thing happens, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, boom, everything's amazing. You know, it's like yeah. it's yeah. like going through those ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. I mean, it's like you really have to ride it, but you have to ride it knowing that like you're writing it for the right reasons. And How are you going to appreciate yeah. the good times if you don't experience the bad? Yeah. Uh, if, like if, if, we were all, if we were all born billionaires and we got everything we wanted our whole life, like that Small might be a different assholes, dude. That might be a different mm-hmm. way of looking at things, but like going through, you know, like you hear, hear your parents and stuff like just say like, Oh man, like, you know, fucking adulthood's like a bummer. Be happy when you're a kid. It's so much harder when you're an adult and you're as a kid, you're going, well, you know, I don't, whatever, dude, I don't believe you, <laughs> you know, like, and then you hit ad- adulthood and then you, f- you actually feel it and you actually see it. And then you see the, the kind of like when your mind's in the right place, you know, you have like an outlook that's positive. It's not necessarily cocky or like you you know mm-hmm. what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's there, you know what I mean? It's something that's like in your soul that you're, you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually ends up in the positive, you know, if you think that you're deserving of something or you think that um you know that yeah this is i need this because you know this is what i deserve and usually it doesn't work out as well as you you thought it was going to work out so i don't know i've that actually is hitting me hard what you're saying yeah i i think the uh, and one of the things that you said that maybe i'd like to emphasize a little bit too is that you know if we were born millionaires we would be looking at life a little bit differently while probably very differently but, but but the thing nonetheless is the learning and working hard on something is that when you achieve it, it's a much bigger deal. It makes you a lot happier than if it was just kind of given to you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Most and definitely. I think sometimes the struggle to get to a particular place makes you enjoy that achievement a lot more than if it was just given, you know, I so, totally yeah. try and keep that in the back of my mind all mm-hmm. the time, dude, like just creating something like everybody, everybody has an aspiration to make something they can fantasize about what they want to make all day, but when uh, the the hard part is actually the journey to getting to the final product, and it's a really tough thing. It's not fucking easy. I've been mm-hmm. we've been doing it all our lives, guys, and it's mm-hmm. never getting easier. But it's it's sticking it out and and knowing seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and knowing that that you want that final product and yeah you know it it may not be what you originally aspired it to be in the beginning but it's still the it's the proof of a completion of an idea bringing an idea into reality yeah and and yeah so it's the the journey is actually the the shit that toughens us up and that's the things that we look back on and we're like yeah we fucking did it guys yeah. or, you know no, totally. i did it you know it's like but it's just totally. yeah that in the present getting through it there's those times where dude where you, you have those shitty nights where it's like i'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna fucking quit i'm done yeah. you know wow. but no, you gotta you gotta get through it to the That's next. That's like day. the only yeah no for for me like a like the only possible like thought for me. I mean, I was raised Buddhist actually, kind of a weird, interesting uh you know being up uh, brought up by like Buddhist Curve monks ball. and stuff yep. like that. But as far as uh having that for me, what I've noticed is when I've ever been cocky about anything in life, whether it's 
or like just not humble about something and 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 expecting it kind of like even when it comes to like you know my you know all these guys know that I like sports a lot so if even like the the universe will strike me down and I'm like yeah this is for sure gonna happen here's mm-hmm. the, the it'll just be like mm-hmm. the one in a million time it doesn't happen mm-hmm. like every mm-hmm. time I do it it's like like it literally is every time I do that. It's I'm the like, universe going ah 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 ah. ah. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and so like I even talk to my friends with about like games I'm watching. I'm like, well, we're gonna probably lose. Like we're gonna lose. Like I don't like. And I actually have that. You're trying to do the, You're trying to trick the universe into making. I'm not sure. Tri- no, I'm not tricking it. I'm like every because t- every time I've been like we're gonna fucking win, <laughs> then we lose. So like yeah. my brain is like kind of conditioned. It's not like me like just saying it out loud just so that I win. You know what I mean? It's like me like understanding loss and what it'll be like and then all of a sudden it, it turns out like sometimes it's opposite but sometimes it's like you know when i'm like yeah we're fucking got this in the bed i don't give a shit about this like just to put use a sports analogy it's like the universe will just be like yeah actually no this is the the one time that this is not going to happen and yep. it's because you you're said that. gonna fumble bro <laughs> you're gonna exactly. fumble exactly <laughs> and that's goes back to the old uh you know, being raised by a Buddhist, uh, you know, like a Lama Tarchin, like one of the old teachers that we had when we were kids, dude, was most like compassionate, just like, don't worry about that stuff. Like, cause he saw me into sports when I was a kid and was like, don't like, just be happy that you're able to play it. Don't worry about the, I mean, obviously winning's fun, especially when people are making, you know, talking to you and you want to like be like, I want to prove you wrong. But at the same time, it's like, just be stoked that you're, you know, it's a fun thing you're doing. Like, don't mm-hmm. worry about the competition. Like, it's yeah. really, and it really stuck with me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that um, Steve had said back when we were doing Defiant Imagination, he had said something along the lines like, just work for what you want to do, but don't have any expectations in return or, or to, you know, something along yeah. those lines, you know? And it's, just like, I think that's a, a really kind of cool way. That way you keep your eye on the target. You just keep working on what you want to achieve, but you don't expect anything in return. I mean, you hope for stuff in return, but the expectations and the hope are two different things, you know? Exactly. So uh, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, entitlement or entitled yeah. or something like that. I guess, I don't know if that's the right word. Or uh, wants and again, needs but, kind of too. Uh, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So like people that feel entitled, uh, because of, you know, reason X, Y, Z and that. And I think if you don't have expectations and you just kind of work and do your best to to kind of get there totally. <laughs> and hope that it works out, but at least the expectations aren't there. <laughs> and a lot of the, like a lot of the, like uh, just popular media and stuff looks like show people that are cocky with the expectations and then getting the thing too. And then mm-hmm. you have this kind of mm-hmm. like blueprint of like, well, they were full of themselves and that, you know, they have this like attitude about it and they got it. So it kind of portrays kind of a false narrative on a lot of people's like <laughs> hopes and stuff. Cause they're not, they're not actually trying anymore. They're like, Oh, I'll just be like full of myself and maybe it'll come true rather than <laughs> just be hopeful. Like just put in yeah. the work and be hopeful for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so Jesus, this got really fucking deep, man. I'm <laughs> <laughs> down, dude. Calm down. Hey, know, I'm man. not. I'm not. I'm gonna start crying enough, soon. I'm not drunk enough to <laughs> sit out of this conversation. I could be in this for a little Gosh. bit. Gosh, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> expecting to talk about stuff like this either. This is a no, dude. I will actually say cool. it is Anthony not drunk alert, dude. I'm actually. <laughs> and look at his eyes. It. Yeah, his eyes are full. He's what? good. <laughs> I'm actually the drunkest one here, and I'm getting, but I'm getting emotional now. So, 
Can we change the subject? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yannick, so actually, speaking of changing the subject, actually, because the studio behind you was the first thing I saw when you came on camera. And I was like completely like looking at the like the the roof up there or the ceiling up there, and I was like, Jesus! Like that looks yeah, the, those, insane. Those things, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so um, you're you basically is that like I mean, besides the the MRI stuff and you know like, geez, you have so many things going on. Like, how do you handle all these different professions and and stuff like that? Because obviously you're recording people there. Because look at that place. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I can yeah, see all the, the yeah, it's, it looks amazing, man. Um, so basically, like, how are you like like balancing your time? Obviously, you're married. Um, you don't have kids, Anthony. Take note. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, it's like, how are you I doing? Still wear a bunch of hats, but not his. Hats yeah, all the hats. Way heavier. His hats yeah. are way heavier than my hats, but the, I still wear well, some. I I think well, the thing is that I mean. When people say it's harder, you know, it. the way that I see it is, I mean, for someone says, oh, f physics is, is way too hard. That's good. Well, it might be hard for you, but it might come a little bit easier to me than it does for you. Right. So, yeah, if I were to do your thing, I, I would find it extremely hard. And maybe physics is just a little bit easier. So I don't look at things being harder. It's just what you're really kind of like programmed to, to do kind of thing, you know, Got but you. Um, but uh, my, I guess, typical week i guess if if you want to call it that so yes i have my uh you know my my day job and my evening job and in some cases you can call it a partial <laughs> night job um but yeah so during the day so um i'm in the systems engineering group uh, as a physicist for uh, siemens and we do the uh, what's called positron emission tomography scanners it's molecular imaging nu nuclear medicine and it's it's kind of like used mostly as if you can say like a, a cancer finder um scanner um which um that the i guess the intent uh, or the the goal of it that without getting too crazy in the technology in that the uh the patient fasts and before going for the scan you inject like a radioactive sugar into the patient and the metabolic rate of the cancer cells is greater than non-cancerous cells. So what happens is this radioactive sugar uh, accumulates in the cancer cells. And when the patient goes for a scan, so after you've given the time for the body to absorb the, the sugar and for the sugar to go where the cancerous cells are, the, the patient will go in the scanner and basically that the scanner counts, right? It's basically detecting the radiation that's coming from the patient but there's more, say, for example, coming from the cancerous cells and the, the, the scanner reconstructs that information, that all that data that's coming from the patient and creates an image of the body. And wherever you have more radiation in your image could possibly be cancer. It could be other, uh, you know, other things, but it could be cancer. And that's when you start looking a little bit more into what's, it. But what, what's an example of something that wouldn't be cancer that would set off with the radiation? Um, yeah. So that, that's more in the medical um, kind of range. So that's yeah. more like, that would be more uh, uh, a, a question for like a physician, uh, not a, maybe not as much a physicist, but I know yeah. there's something I've heard over the years, like brown <laughs> fat or something like that, that it's a type of cell that may absorb it uh, a little bit more that you might think, you know, m might be cancer, but it actually isn't. Uh, mm. But I think there are different theories around that also. But at least it gives um, 
a glimpse of what is going on inside the body, you know. So in some cases, you'll see some very bright spots in the liver, and sometimes you'll see it all over the body, right? And then you know that, oh, I mean, it could have possibly spread and that. So so that's the kind of uh, field that, that I'm in. And it's I awesome. mean, the people at Siemens here, I mean, it, they're amazing people. I mean, I feel like I work with my friends uh, every day, you know, uh, which is really a really cool environment um and uh, so that's basically kind of like my my day job uh then in the evenings uh you know we have the the studio work or we have the the work for the band for for gone in april um and um and also we started a tour bus uh, company not that long ago that we can talk about also but um but uh, yeah, so we bought a tour bus, um, and so we're kind of getting into <laughs> like a that full as well. size, like like a pre a prevost, prevo a forty five foot XL two prevo, yeah, nice yeah. prevo. So That's what you say um, prevo, I always said prevo. Well, it, it's actually prevo. It's it's actually from Quebec. It they're made oh, in wow. Quebec those uh, those buses. So it's actually yeah. Canadian bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but um, but yeah. So anyways. So in the evenings, that's when we do our work in, in the studio or on our band, uh, you know, Gone in April. And I mean, I do a lot of drum sessions for, for a lot of bands. So either working, doing drums for those bands or just recording and mixing bands that come here to, uh, to record um, and get their albums produced. So, for example, tomorrow is Friday, but I have a band coming in, um, you know, um, around lunchtime and I need to prepare in the morning. So I'm taking some time away from Siemens to be able to do that during the day. And sometimes I'll put work for Siemens on the weekend and, uh, in the evenings. I mean, there's overtime sometimes and, but, um, you know, all in all, it's kind of like in general that the day job and the, uh, the evening job and that. So, you know, that you're, you've become that girl in the math class. I got the 94. And I'm looking at you with my 62 on on the on the math test, and I'm like, I like want to become the 94 now. <laughs> like that's insane, man. How you manage your time is amazing. That's you know, like, that's well, I, really... I think I think one of the 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 things that is makes it easier to do that is they're two completely different environments, right? And beside the fact that I mean, we don't have kids right now, right? So if we had kids, that would probably be a very different story. Um, but, um, you know, the fact that Julie is also a musician, right? I mean, Julie does mm -hmm. that for a living. Uh, she has a master's in vocal performance and opera and a master's in viola. So she plays with wow. orchestras. She does operas. Um, she does contracts for bands. Um, she's a musician. So when we're working together on music stuff, I'm, you know, my wife is also a musician, so she understands the passion behind it. And she does a lot of hours also. So it's just a passion that we share together and allows us to kind of continue doing that. And to me, the hours don't bug me as much. I think, you know, I'm a energetic person and I like to have a lot going on in my life. But because the Siemens environment is completely different to the music environment, I don't feel like I'm working those hours because the brain is kind of tricked into thinking that, oh, you did eight hours here, but that was something else. Now you're doing eight hours there. It, it, mm. They're kind of like, it's it's kind of weird. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just the brain doesn't put two and two together and say, hey, you've been working, you know, way too much. Yeah. So, yeah. I know you guys don't have kids, but could you please have like 40 of them? 
Jesus Christ. No, no, that would slow them down, dude. You want them to keep I know, but going. just like these are the type to... of people you want to keep going in that environment. I'm thinking of like Frank Zappa and how he shouldn't have had kids because he was in the studio for 16 hours, you know? And like where his kids didn't even see him for like months on end when they li- he was downstairs the whole time. And and and, <laughs> and that those kids got kind of fucked up from it maybe i don't know i think joel's talking about genetics more though than like yeah yeah oh like you yeah think a, you okay think a, okay think i like, get that now you think like, a gorgrain band should have like 45 kids and like and yannick should have zero like no i think it should be opposite i want yannick <laughs> to spread those like i'm like inspired by him so much right now it's oh like, totally dude it's like the one the one guy that doesn't have kids i'm like epigenetics Jesus. dude like could Epi- you could you make some yannick like epigenetics <laughs> it's very impressive man i mean it's like i mean yeah, the way you even uh, treat your mind and your day and stuff like that, on top of everything else you've told us today, is like completely. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm drunk now, so I feel like a piece of garbage. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, definitely, man. I, I, I very like you're, you do, you're doing all the things that like I wish. I don't, I don't want to say I wish around Yannick. I know I'm capable of doing, but I don't do. Wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know. Everybody's got that though. You just gotta get you got gotta get the fire under your booty. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm I I don't know if you want to talk about that. But why do you think the reason is? And if you um, don't want to talk about that, that's fine. And I don't. Oh, want no, to... I'm <laughs> I'm totally down to talk about all anything. You can ask me anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really, I mean, I I really I started smoking pot as a kid, as a really young kid. My my grades dropped dramatically when I started doing that. Um, I associated with more, Jesus, let's go into therapy, man. I'm down. Um, I, I started, um, just kind of like not caring as much. I mean, like, fuck it. And my, my drip, my grades went down. My mom's like, you have ADD, dude. It's ADD. And I'm like, I'm just stoned all the time, mom. It's not ADD. This is like pretty easy stuff for me. I'm just not interested. You know, it was like, if I had honestly, like I was, you, I was hearing you talk and I was like, literally thinking to myself, if I had a teacher that explained things like you did, I would probably be in the same level you are you know as a young um as a young kid i i really only had like maybe three or four teachers that really inspired me and i was only really in school because of that because i thought i had to be and i thought i that was my that's the next step you do the the high school you graduate which i barely graduated by the way because i was straight a's started smoking pot like d's f's at the very end I uh I came back was like oh crap I have to I want to walk with my friends to graduate so I you know did extra classes after and then did A's again and then um and then I was like I don't I basically have just been kind of like lost without a paddle a little bit you know in my life of like looking where am I I'm supposed to I'm supposed to do this is where my brain kind of goes my brain goes yeah. to the well, I'm I'm this is what you have to do to you know have to hit X Y Z to to do the thing. And I would start doing X, Y, Z and I'd just be like, well, I'm not, you know, interested again. <laughs> you know, actually one of the paths, what, what, my mom actually put me down, which I didn't go was MRI school. And, uh, she was just like, she was looking at it as more like a, Hey, this is like a, not a crazy degree you have to get and you can be a technician is what kind of like she was kind of pointing at an X-ray technician as well. Um, so I, I really did actually look at that a lot when I was in, you know, 21, 22, but uh, then, you know, I was really in, into music. So I was like, music was my thing. And so I was in college, you know, uh, community college. And um, I was in the middle of class and I had been playing with Odious. And basically, I came up to like, hey, do you want to, you know, be on a record label and, and tour with your favorite bands? 
And I was like, and my dad's a musician. He's all, fuck yeah, do it. And then went out, did that, but still just kind of like, and then ended up not liking the tour lifestyle either. So I was like super jaded because the thing I've been looking to do my whole life wasn't satisfying. It was like completely. It was not what you was, expected. Exactly. I mean, which is, you know, a very common story with people touring. But, um, and then just coming back kind of like, and my friends are doctors and stuff like, you know, I, t- I did years doing this. So like came back, friends are doctors, friends are married, friends have kids, friends have all these things. And I'm like, I'm in a death metal band. You know what I mean? So I kind of, uh, shot myself down a lot with that. And, uh, I don't know, just never really, never, I mean, I, I'm right now I'm recovering, I guess you could say, like I'm making a great salary. I'm doing really good. I'm living in the most expensive place in the United States and I have a nice house with a friend, but, um, you know, it's like things are going good, but like, there's still something out there that I just didn't take the right path. That's not the thing I wanted to do still what I'm doing right now. And I'm just here just because I'm like, Oh yeah. Um, I, my whole mindset became don't do what you love for money because you can ruin it, but do what you love. I mean, what you're kind of into for money and then have your hobby be what you love. So that was kind of like, where that's like basically where the mindset went into, cause I was like doing the thing I was playing freaking summer slaughter like two or three years you know like two thousand people a night and i was thinking to myself on stage um one of the times when i decided to like quit touring was we were in milwaukee and i you know like all these kids like from front to back sold that show hands up and i literally like was thinking in that moment and i'm on stage on the monitor with my hands up too i was thinking in that moment like i want to go home (laughs) and i was like what the fuck this is like and we talked about like earlier podcasts, you know, watching the opening bands for Cannibal Corpse, like, and just, they're just a struggling young band. And when I was a kid, I was watching them going like, oh my God, you guys are fucking living the Stoked. absolute dream. Like the absolute dream. Like this is exactly what I want. So, I mean, it was kind of like a, it was a curveball there a little bit. Um, I don't know. You asked the question, so you got the answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> you know, I mean, the cool thing is, is we're all like, well, I consider us to be young. I mean, younger people might consider us super old, but I consider yeah, us to, to be young. And there's still yeah. a lot of changes that you can, you know, make it even being older. You know, I'm 47 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, um, you know, um, there's still, you know, sometimes that I work with with kids that are in their late teens and early 20s, mid 20s. And when we organize festivals here or do videos, in some of the cases, some of the young guys are like, man, I'm so tired. I'm like, come on, come on, let's go. You know, and it's like, we're still young. We have energy. You can, you know, do things and make changes in, in your lives on that. So it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, we're in the last, you know, couple of years of our lives where it's like, well, your time is gone, but you've decided, you know, you can try to make a change, but you probably have two years left or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, no. I mean, you know, it's like there's so many years and that that's the kind of cool thing about life, right, is that tomorrow you can, like we were talking about before, right? Tomorrow, this thing can happen that is completely going to change the trajectory. And, yeah. you know, then then again, you could also get in a car accident and die. But, I was you just know, about hopefully to say, that's not the trajectory happen. could be straight to a grave. But, <laughs> yeah. but, that's the excitement but that's of the life, cool though. Thing to kind of think that, about, yeah. And we've made Definitely. it this far and we still got spunk, boys. We're still doing shit. You know, that's what's <laughs> no, for sure. cool, you know? Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, it's just like, OGs, I just wish I had the mindset. Like in the, Yannick in has the, the mindset yeah. that I want. Uh, I mean, even though I'm not like, I'm yeah. not like saying like, I'm not using it as an excuse that, you know, because I don't have that mindset, I can't make the changes. But 
man it's it's inspiring man that's you should well, be, let me uh, ask you this what yeah. like and actually for all three of you what is like is there something that you can think of that if you wish that you could do that you'd be like man if i if there'd be a way for me to do this thing that could be either extremely difficult to to achieve or or maybe not at all you know that you'd really really like to do what if someone could say hey what would that one thing be? So do you Man. have an idea of what that would be? <laughs> That's the hardest thing That's for me ever. Cause I, literally right I was about to say just no, and then go to Casey. <laughs> well, because... I, had, I had a music school then COVID. So for me, it's like refinding my path, but I've got a new job going and it's going good. You know, I mean, path, what would you? I, mean, I, mean, I know you have a new but, job that's paying you right now, but what would you? What would you like? Number one thing you'd want to do if you had an option? There's a, a genie comes in a bottle one day, yes, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow morning, and says you could do anything the fuck you want right now. What do you want to do? Well, we, I don't know. Like, that's, for me, it's like I mean, I don't go get some ramen. <laughs> 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 uh, i know i mean it's it's in there for me i mean it's obviously to be like but the thing is i don't feel like i have i'm lacking the education um to really you know i want to be like an astrophysicist or something and i want to like i want to like you know yeah, uh like explore the universe and do shit like that i don't know like as far as like understand because that's like i mean that makes my mind like blow the hardest is like understanding the universe mm -hmm. and i watch all these documentaries constantly and like and stuff like that but the thing is i don't have an understanding so like it's not like something i could say i want to do you know what i mean i, I feel <laughs> like a lot of my friends that I, I have like a lot of friends that work in science and different degrees and you know of, of that whole field and stuff or like chemical engineers and all kinds of different you know varying degrees of that and they all seem to be very passionate about their work and really seem to love it you know and they do very well and have a lot of a lot of friends that also do very well that work in like tech and computers um and they seem to hate their jobs <laughs> and so that's i guess that's i've noticed that um <clears throat> so okay my my answer would be to go with the art life if i could live off of creating make, like, art yeah like completely like like what do you mean like paintings or like uh, uh, anything making or... well i'm already you know making music but yes just like if i could even get into film like just like doing that whole thing just like every form of art that i could mm -hmm. possibly just like get my hands on get my hands off of tools stop working on mm -hmm. cars you know mm -hmm. okay and, well, that, and just you said filming that made me think of something but... right so for example, I mean, you guys have obviously, you know, a lot of experience and, and, uh, you know, you know, decades with, with music in that, you know, have you thought of getting into filmic music videos for bands? I mean, that would be awesome. Actually, would, I mean, it'd be fun. It'd be I a way to kind cool. of get into, you know, I'm going mean, to hire you as my life coach. Can, can we, uh, can we talk all yeah. the time? Like, yeah, can we like talk like once a week? <laughs> we have like a, <laughs> we have like a, uh, like a, uh, Four times a year, Yannick uh, drop in on the podcast. No, I mean, I definitely, like I mean, a... I imagine making, I mean, obviously, like, the whole production seems fun. Everything seems fun to, like, put together a music video and, like, having the final product seems fun. That all seems fun to me. You know, I was a, when I was a kid, it was all web design, like, 14, 13 years old. I was designing websites on dial-up, you know, like, and interviewing bands and stuff when I was a little kid. 
And uh, that was just an automatic re response to my interest in music. That was like immediate what I did. That was like, it wasn't anything like I, you know, like had to talk with someone. It was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do like a, a website, do the graphics for it, have like, you know, news and stuff like that. Like, it's like a organic kind of feeling of, of what I actually came out with. And uh, actually got pretty successful, by the way, too. I was like 14, 15 years old. And had this website, uh, sickness.net. And uh, it actually took off a little bit. I was interviewing bands. But the thing is, like, I still had that hunger for, like, once the, I got, what I'm saying is maybe the tour life kind of, like, kind of, like, wiped that out where I was kind of like, all right, well, they're all struggling and, and doing their thing. And it's not like the, the, the magic wonderland that I thought tour was going to be. And so once that was kind of, like, different then maybe my mindset changed a little bit and i was like well, i'll start playing music then and that's kind of like where i say like way too much jesus um but <laughs> as, as far as uh yeah just getting into it like i mean it was i mean there was an initial like it's really cool to hear you uh, talk because uh, <laughs> i definitely there was something organically coming out of me that was not like provoked in any way it was just what i wanted to do and and i feel like that's been lost you know and uh in the grand scheme of things, especially when you get older and older, you're like seeing people doing, you know, seeing the 94 test score and they're just being like, fuck, I can't do that. You know yeah. what I mean? And then well, I seeing... think sometimes uh, I guess the way that that um, I see it is if you, you you kind of think of one particular uh, aspect and it it'll like if like if you say that, like the film, the filming that if we use that as an example, right? So you mm -hmm. said, oh man, if I could do this or that or that, and you said filming. And to me, the idea that jumped into my head is like, frig, musician, music, creativity, filming, music videos, right? Mm -hmm. And you get in touch with bands and you start getting, and I mean, luckily with technology nowadays, I mean, it doesn't cost that much money. Yeah. to get equipment i'm not saying good equipment doesn't cost a lot of money good equipment costs a crap a lot of money, of money. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. i mean to get started and stuff like yeah. that to get a, a camera and you know a, a good lens and the stabilizers and stuff like that and man I, I mean you know it's it's just you work with one band then they hear about it and see it and then two other bands call and then four other bands and then all of a sudden you're like shit i never thought of doing this and i started and now look what's this has kind of like turned into yeah. and yeah it comes with hard work and you have to put in the time and you know it's like i saw uh, someone send me something uh, actually from siemens today that it was like a cartoon that was uh, somewhere on i think on linkedin that it said it was a guy saying man i would really wish i'd be good at something and the other guy says well if you want to be good at something you got to suck at it first and it's like yeah well i guess yeah. that's kind of true you know but you put in the time and you get that done and mm -hmm. gosh mm -hmm. next thing you know five years from now you could be freaking running a business with just filmography and and you know whatever doing exactly what you know it, it, anyway so it, it's just kind of like start a start a tony robbins thing you're like <laughs> when you I, quit, I'm actually well, really inspired when by you him. start something and then you quit like you know me and piano where i quit after like a year it's because you didn't want to fully get through that suck stage that we were you just were mentioning you got to like grow yeah, your but, hair but maybe it's, like hair. it's not what was maybe it just didn't click for you right whereas maybe right, for, right. just like when we give the example of music videos maybe if you got into it you'd be like man, this is so freaking cool. And now all of a sudden it's 2 a.m. and you're like, where'd that time go? Like, yeah. I'm having fun like crazy. And this is like, this is 
nuts. And all of a sudden, a year goes by, two years go by, three years go by, you know. And it's funny because at one point I was talking to Julie, and uh, this is several years ago, and she said, I didn't see the last five years of our lives go by. And I started thinking about it, and I thought, geez, I didn't see my 30s go by. Like my whole thirties to me are like completely non-existent in my twenties too. You know, yeah. being so busy with stuff, and it's like you get involved with with geez, you know, if doing videos for for bands and stuff like that. I mean, obviously you have the musical aspect, uh, you know, of it, and just learning a bit about you know the cameras and and the 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 editing software and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, it's like, geez, man, you know, you're the guy that people go to, you know. So with maybe that'll make you click or it might be something completely different than that. But you know, I mean, the podcast thing is kind of like a lazy version of that. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. We could, just, yeah. we could just put a camera on us and we're like, people like us when we're in person with each other. So maybe we'll, uh, try to do this virtually. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's basically, it's like our, our conversational skills are decent. So maybe we'll, but you know, my mom, my mom probably has a podcast by now. It's like, everyone's got a podcast <laughs> now. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, it's not going to be like lucrative, but like, you know, it's a, it's a start. No, it's definitely a start. Like, especially, I think, I think we, yeah. I'd like to think that we just have like our little corner of, of the, of the gigantic grid of podcasts, you know, and, and not everybody's really focusing on like exactly what we're doing. Everybody's talking to everybody, but like, our format is there really with the underground metal is there any other podcast doing the same thing going long form we're three hours and 16 minutes into this right now <laughs> you, I, I know see that's what you just said like uh like before you know it like time has flown and and uh yeah it's 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 really fun to bring people that we look up to and just all of a sudden we just we're not we don't know what they're gonna say like you know we're, we're all walking up in here and just going like oh we like your music okay well What's going on now? Dude, that's three hours that, and 16 minutes. And uh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, we gotta, I'd like to tell you guys, actually, because I've spoken to some bands that, you know, I record here in the studio and, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast. And I'm like, oh, I heard of that. Yeah. And some guys said, oh, yeah, I watched a few of them. They're really good. Those guys. So it's like people in Knoxville here know about it, you know, so it, obviously dude. you guys are doing something oh, yeah. right. Right. Oh, because cool. people in Knoxville know about it. So, yeah. Hell yeah. How far is that from Nashville? Two and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. We gotta yeah, hook uh, and, and fucking Naveen up with him. Yeah, and these and the guys that reacted that way, the ones that I had spoken to in the last few days, I mean, they're kind of like early twenties and that, you know. So it's gotten to them. Yeah. And I know that we're early. I mean, we're 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 older than that, but it's gotten to different generations also, right? So that's I think that's cool, uh, you know an achievement for you guys that shows that I mean you have been working hard and and you know it's consistency I think getting the word for out, sure. So, yeah. Yeah, we haven't really a missed a way. week, dude. We haven't missed a week, and yeah, it seems like we continuously are finding interesting people to talk to each week. Mm-hmm. Shout out, shout out to David Siskin, by the way, Warbreaker up in the comments. I saw you. What up? I'd like to see that shit too, or watch, <laughs> listen to that shit too. Joel's mom, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, that. Do you actually, know sure. what the fuck's going on? It's his motherfucking birthday, bitches. Is it that David's birthday? birthday today, dude? It's Happy David's birthday. fucking birthday right now. I am not so, uh, that. Yannick, this is our the guitar player of the Odious. Is like one of the original guitar players of Odious. He's just yeah. He's, he's getting our, our comments right now, and I'm drunk, and I. <laughs> he's drunk, and he puts up an Anthony drunk alert. 
Where's the Joel drunk alert, dude? It needs to go around the whole border of the video. Fucking. All right. There we go. Happy birthday. He was, he was, he was on a couple of times. He's been a previous guest twice, right? He was on your birthday and the odious. Okay. So maybe I am the drunk one. I double clicked, but, uh, Yannick, man. Jesus this Christ, is man! So this is actually one of the one of the. Right, I don't want right. to like. I don't want to you know spat upon the previous guests, but Jesus Christ, man! This was. What? I was very impressed with this one. I was very like. Was, I don't know if you guys were expecting me to get off topic like this, so I'm sorry if this is not what you. Oh, were I love doing, it. But it no, looks I love like it. This is what Every... came out. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I texted both uh, Casey, Anthony, and I texted uh, Murray, because um, Murray's always like, You're, "You guys are in the weeds." And like when we we got in the weeds, like the the a bunch of people like joined in, and then like when we got out of the weeds, like people started leaving. <laughs> like, these are the fr- yeah, I love these I are think the, the weeds. These are, are the, the thing. freshest, best weeds we've had. I think on this podcast, the freshest, no, love, fullest, oh, best weeds. Going into the fit, like the, <laughs> just the the whole like I'm gonna rewatch this like three or four times with the whole harmonic thing that you're talking about. So yeah, that's good stuff. David's got my back, dude. I see the question mark, two exclamation points. He's on my side, dude. Let's give this guy a shout out. Let's give let's give this uh, spammer a shout out, dude. <laughs> What's up, spammer? Oh gosh, that's you want to buy followers? Hit up, gonna, hit, hit up Harry thirteen, everybody dude. Everybody got a D <laughs> bullshit. Do you want to buy hey, he, followers? Hey, that's Yannick. Crazy. He's got dreams Funny and aspirations dude. too. He just wants to give people more followers. You know, like you know, like. <laughs> That was good, dude. Right on. And he's got them. He's got fresh followers on Fresh followers. Yeah, he's got freshers. (laughs) Freshers. (laughs) But Yannick, actually, I want to do this again, like, every other weekend if you can. This is awesome, man. I'm actually really impressed. I I say this to a lot of guests. There are a a lot. Every Pretty much everybody has been welcome back. But, dude, Yannick, dude, we got to get you fucking back on, dude. (laughs) Like, I love these conversations, dude. And I'd love to even go deeper into the physics shit and see what we can try and like uncover totally. about all of this dude and what physics mm-hmm. has to do with it all because it really does you yeah know? you know so, be awesome too is like i know uh, yannick yeah. gave me like a, a bunch of good information about like what i should focus on what you know like a mindset thing what if like we did this and we just changed Yannick's life and he becomes a podcaster and he's like fucking number two in the world and he's like he's like he's like Tony Robbins is number three and Yannick's yeah, number yeah. two and like like <laughs> I always knew you had it in you <laughs> yeah no it's awesome man it's really yeah, cool so, information yeah. you gave us I'm yeah really it, it's kind of something it. that I kind of enjoy to in a way because I I know when we were in. Uh, you know, like maybe not so much in high school, but in college and, and university and stuff like that. When, you know, I'd be talking to friends of mine and they'd be, you know, saying, oh, I'm not really sure, you know, do I apply for this and apply for that? And I seem to be always that person that's like, so what do you want to do? You know, like what, you what are you interested in? What, like what? And, and it wasn't necessarily stuff that I was interested in, you know, I mean, but it was like, man, what makes you tick? You know, what's that thing that, that gets you fired up. And, and sometimes the tricky thing is they don't, they haven't found that thing yet, but I think the, the really cool thing is they can just give one thing to go off of and say like, Oh, okay. So you give this information and 
you know, have you thought of this or that or that? And then, you know, they say like, oh, crap, man, I never thought of that. That's a good idea. And then you talk and come up with and all these different things. And, you know, it's totally. just kind of really neat to to see someone else get super excited and get a new idea and be like, shit, that is so cool. I haven't thought of that. And then again, just kind of build off of each other's Definitely. excitement and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of fun. So for some reason, I have an interest in that and I find it really cool. Well, if you ever want to give a shot, people like, get excited, a, you know, <laughs> if you ever want to like take a stab at it, man, just, uh, come, we'll give you the Cali death, whatever, just go on and just start talking to people. Like I'd be <laughs> super down just to hand over this, like start like a little segment, just go off and Let's start talking. It, you know, it'd be we, awesome. We have some ideas that we can. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if people would like that, but you know, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> It'll just be me in the comments all the time. Like, I want to do this. I want to do this. What do you, what, what do you No, <laughs> dude, I think that this, 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 you, we definitely could do no, something definitely. with that for sure. No, for sure. We, we could be the audience uh, just like we are right now. Yeah. No, you got, you got it, man. You, Yannick, you're, uh, you got, you got the thing, dude. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> this is the this is the uneducated drunk guy telling you you got the thing. I know what I want to do with my life. Work from home, dude. It's the shit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, dude. No, I have you guys like all worked from home pretty much with COVID? No, I, mean, I don't. No, I no, like I do a lot. Ranching, ranching yeah, through the I, whole I, thing. I just wish. And I'm gonna go ahead and uh, shit on his dreams real quick. So it's super sick for like like it's super awesome when you work from home. Like when they're your work like is like work from home. And, um, like, especially during the pandemic, it's like, you have to work from home. So you have to do this. And I work in like an IT world and, um, it's fun. Like you're like at home, you get to watch your music videos, you get to, or whatever you want to listen to. And, um, I'm saying week number, maybe 28, 29 of doing that. It's like, you're working from your place, the same place that you have pleasure from, or just, you know, when you're off, you go mm -hmm. to this place and now, mm -hmm. now it's. The place that you have off is now your work environment and you're like i want to go to work dude like, this sucks like this is like you know like you want like to feel accomplished yeah. at work because i'm like i get i got really good at working from home so i'm like i'm accomplishing all the tasks i need to do but i feel like depressed after i'm done i'm like this yeah. is like i'm still at home I'm like all right i'm like all right weekend all right here we go anna beck you know what <laughs> yeah, i mean it's yeah. like it's like the fun time is like oh, okay and you're in the environment still it's like i feel like it's fun for little periods of time, but like for the full time, I think it's it. I was I fantasized about working from home. Like that was like the number one thing I wanted to do. And then came to the fact where I like was literally figuring out how to like do as little as possible and sleep as much as possible. And I was like, this is not a good. I think it depends on like factor. what you're doing for work, though. You know, like I'm I I'm like talking about just like OnlyFans and fin <laughs> like that's all i want to do <laughs> so like from home it's cool yeah dude Casey's like i just want to make porn from home and then like you i know, don't like want to go to an office to do that and then go fish with david <laughs> yeah yeah make porn yeah, and then home. go fish yeah then i got like early because i like made like seven hundred dollars in like seven minutes and then just go fishing <laughs> yeah exactly just have to show my butthole for a bit it's cool and all right, Yannick. All right, so we've degraded. Please, please come back. Please come yeah, back. Yeah, dude. No, so, seriously. We won't, we won't hit you up super fast. I want to have a deep conversation with you about, like, the... Um, the... the, the <laughs> how, how physics tie with, like, music theory and crazy. Well, it's our, yeah, we, we already alluded to that. Alluded uh, to that. I know. Actually, there's, actually, a, word, there's a word that I was using on the Steve podcast. Come on. 
one, one thing that just kind of jumped on oh, yeah. uh, jumped in my head when you said that and it kind of had to do with a question that someone asked earlier and we, we didn't actually go to that about the sciences and stuff like that um so i remember uh it's kind of like a, a story when i was doing my undergrad in in engineering physics um for some reason the story popped in into my head with what you said um it was the quantum mechanics um class and the way it was given at our school is that we had a, a teacher but it was um i know the word in french i don't know it in english when you you kind of teach yourself the teacher is not there to give a lesson and and teach the class you study on your own and you get to class and you ask questions and that's all that is what do you call that in english Lecture? no no lecture okay um, but it, you, you know what i mean right yeah, and, yeah. um so anyway so i'm we're studying, you know, at home and, and that. And one of the kind of like freaky feelings I got at one point is when um, I was studying a chapter in quantum mechanics. And when you're studying quantum mechanics, have you guys ever read up on that or just to kind of have like an idea? of? We're what it is? so dumb, dude. I have no. Like... <laughs> OK, well, look, I'll, I'll say something that's really impressive about it. It's just completely different. Once you you, you do like kind of like classical physics like just the mechanics and, and stuff like that that is really really freaking cool but when you get to quantum mechanics it's just a different way of seeing physics it, it's a little bit like uh i don't know if you guys have done calculus or or that like um derivative mm -hmm. integrals and stuff like that but it's like when you do uh math pre-calculus and you get to calculus it's just this new world and new set of tools that opens up and just again blows your mind and you're like what the hell like someone came up with this stuff wow and how how does how did someone come up with this it's yeah. like you learn it because someone came up with it but the person that came up with that no i know like what the hell and i had uh, an evening i still remember it was a chapter i think it was on the uh you know like the new way to see the the you know the the atom and the orbitals and and stuff like that for um with quantum mechanics that's just completely different than classical physics and i'm reading the chapter and studying and i had this really uncomfortable feeling in my head that was kind of like scary that someone that is human can think and come up with this like with these ideas mm -hmm. and create a completely new way of seeing the sciences like with using new math and and new you know physics concepts and that and that was a really kind of like weird feeling out of all the years that i studied in sciences that you know this whole like people when they say that kind of ad scientist thing that you know it's kind of like at um i kind of had a small feeling of that for a small amount of time and wow. i realized that my it was like brain overload and it, it was like it's starting to get crazy and i was starting to feel not really myself just because i was so impressed with what i was reading and just under kind of shock that someone can come up with this i basically what i did is i just closed my book and i walked out of my room and just went to do mm. something else for a while because it was just kind of like again you know a shock on the brain just like when you know the girl that was helping me 
you know, with my the history tutoring and stuff like that, that was a shock on the that was a positive one. But this whole thing on that, that was just a kind of really weird feeling. So, yeah, you know, man. Uh, but that was, yeah, kind of a uh, time bet. And, you I know, just went through it that. with that you because I'm thinking like, man, yeah, being introduced to something so foreign. Yeah. But like tied into what you do. So it's like, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I just, and the, the kind of crazy ooh. thing is when when you get to 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 kind of read up a little and and you can find books like the one of the best books I've read in my life was Einstein for Beginners and it was a book it was cartoons and very easy ways to describe uh in like at a high level uh relativity special theory relativity with I and all it was was cartoons and little call outs and stuff like that and the next thing I knew is I was tutoring people that had were one physics class ahead of me and they weren't understanding the concept of it because their teacher, their physics teacher had not described it in a way that, you know, enabled them to really understand it. And here I'm reading, you know, a cartoon book that was written by a scientist and I was able to kind of explain the overall concept to it. So it's, it's not the complexity of the book, you know, to really kind of grasp some ideas that are the kind of overall high level, you know, concepts you don't have to go deep, you know, you just pick up a very simple book in, in layman's terms, I think they, they say, and man, that can freaking blow your mind and just kind of like trigger all these new thoughts in that. And I think the thing with quantum mechanics that was happening, that was just really weird is that it's kind of like everything you've learned up to this point, it's not like throw it out, but kind of, because now we're going to introduce you to something different. And it's like, what the frick is this? You know? So it's like, it's almost, just kind of really exciting, you know, building your, yeah. It's like use, it's like building your brain capacity up to the point to where now they can introduce a new thing. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, it's not that you have to throw out everything you just learned, but mm-hmm. you know, but it's like you're gonna... relearning it a different way, you know? So imagine you're, you're going and you're studying and you're learning for years and years and years working on something and you get to a point and someone tells you okay that that's not really how it works we're gonna really tell you and then you're like what the hell just happened <laughs> you know so yeah it's kind of <laughs> yeah. so you know you were saying you were interested in like oh if you could be an astrophysicist or, or stuff like that you know so you know definitely like, see, find a good book that's easy to read and uh you know man that yeah. could make you a lot easier uh, than going in equations and then like you know? 10 years they'll teach quantum mechanics in like second grade that'd be sick i know i know so it's like it's like scott last year or last year last episode was like just starting he's like yeah yeah i got got into like metal and stuff so i started with necrophagist right wow i was like you know it's like that's that's your starting point so it's like skating or anything it's like you know you're you were a skater yannick you know like people like now are starting with like the craziest thing when they're like 10 and that's like the most insane thing that's been done that was not even conceivable when you were a kid is like being dubbed yep. like d- double whatever you're saying, the limits, are, yeah. are you saying it's inconceivable joel it's inconceivable, inconceivable. i'm actually gonna i'm, I'm gonna ah, raid uh i'm gonna raid max anomalous real quick because i'm gonna try to do it see if it works because last time we've actually not done it correctly i guess murray says we haven't done it like last two times haven't worked so let's see what this we'll is right, we're fucking well we, should we do the wrap we're up? veterans so i feel like we should be good at this point should but we I think do the wrap yeah. up let's do a wrap up just kidding okay well yannick can you like 
get on at like 2 p.m. and yeah. let's just talk for like 24 hours. And <laughs> I, I hope this that. wasn't too boring for you guys. No, 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 you no, 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 it wasn't no, no, all opposite. music, so yeah. No, we were like, we're, no, epi- we... we're in episode 68, and I'm literally you like, kidding, dude, no. like is... fucking my jaw was on the ground like 19 no, This yeah. is like one of my favorite episodes so far. Totally, sure. dude. <laughs> I don't usually so listen sick. to these, Yannick, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to listen to this one again. Oh, fuck yeah, oh, me too. Hell yeah. I need to like take a notepad next time. Yeah, it was super cool. And that's <laughs> again, I just want to say like that would be exactly what I'd want to go into if we had you on again. And if you you're more than welcome to come back. Oh, I, I would love to, man. It was really cool talking to you guys. I mean, it was really yeah, really fun, fun, and I learned a lot too. And and that yeah, I'd love to join it another time. Yeah, that's absolutely. super super cool, Yannick. <laughs> awesome. And maybe we can do an episode with you and Steve again. That'd be so oh, fun. That would oh be god, cool. yes. how fun would that be? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you could bring your wife cool. on too if you wanted. You could do like, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, uh, she could do that too. Yeah, do okay. it on an April centric episode. Dude, nice. That'd be yeah, so dude. fun, dude. Yep, yep. Well, we right can absolutely on. do that. Cool guys. Well, awesome. uh, so Joel, you're setting up the raid action. Oh, it says it says no. <laughs> it says no. I, 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 had up, I had up Max. I was like, did we raid? And someone's just all no. I don't know how it works. Well, we're pros, so I don't know what people are. Oh no, you did it. He says I did it. We're, I did it. We're yeah, there we go. Oh, it did work. Okay. It did work. Oh, oh, did he's, it. Got it. Right he's all on, excited always. now. He's he's all celebrating. He's doing his. He's all sweet. Thank you. You guys rock. Okay. Boom. Close it. All right. Well, uh, I, can't hear, I can't hear multiple things. Speaking of read, I got some new roach traps today. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, speaking of peeing, like, we should do watch this up. Little... Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Joel's Wrap got a piece, up, so we, we better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, this uh, week once again. Joel's got a pee, and uh, come come back over to Twitch if you if you're over on YouTube right now watching this, and come over to Twitch. You can interact with us. You know, and it helps. It's supporting. It's supporting other people. Like like we just raided someone. We just threw yeah, people yeah. at someone else. We had two people today throw their streams at us, and all of a sudden it was our streams got like you know triple like over or more like fucking people watching yeah so if you're if you're a subscriber at youtube come over to twitch follow us there if you're not a subscriber just hit the subscribe button dude it's all good and uh you know we're gonna be back next week hopefully with the professor and yannick once again thank you so much for thank being with so us much, dude, thank you for time. having me and, uh, awesome, so we'll fun. see you guys next week battleforgecoffee.com Go get caffeinated and swagged out. Boom.